Hi guys and welcome back to the Average Pundits podcast, your home of all things Premier League. Christmas special for you today, we have the mid-season Premier League review and I am joined by the boys from Nothing But Football, a brand new little football kind of podcast radio show to listen to over on YouTube. I've got Alex Smith, uh, we've got uh, Alex Smith, yeah, Average Pundits veteran, you may recognise him before, and we've got Alfie Lambert as well. How are you doing, boys? Yeah, not bad, you? Not too bad at yeah, all. Not bad, mate. Not too bad. We've got a lot to talk about with the Premier League this season. Obviously, we're, we're, we're probably living through one of the weirdest times to be a fan of top flight football ever, you know, with a global pandemic on, with all teams seemingly in great form one minute, terrible form the next. So, without further ado, I think we'll jump straight into it. So, we'll start off with the top of, top of the alphabetical list. We've got Arsenal. Uh, Alfie, I'll come to you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Avid Arsenal fan, uh, sport journalism student. I'm sure you spoke about Arsenal quite a lot this season. Um, if we're summing it up early on, what, what, what are your uh, initial thoughts of how the season's gone so far for Mikel's army? I mean, I think, I think the only word really to describe it so far is probably diabolical. Um, I Last win being at Old Trafford, first day of November. Um, which I thought obviously was was a good result, especially when you consider how they've sort of bounced back and got into form from it. But I mean, the the game's gone by. It's just there's a complete lack of creativity. Um, like I say, Williams constantly getting in the squad and and sub sub performing, um, and it, we just don't look like scoring. I mean, defensively, I have to say, I, I generally think we sort of have improved. I just think the midfield. And going forward has just been, like I say, atrocious. Um, but I mean, I'm sure Alex will back me up. You, we've had to well, sit and watch enough games with me this season. Obviously, obviously, living together, me and Alfie watch. You know, I watch Arsenal quite a lot with Alfie, and I've got. You know, growing up, my first season watching football was the season Jose first went to Chelsea, and before that season, Arsenal were probably second to Manchester United as the best team in the league. This is without a doubt with all of us, the worst Arsenal team in our living memory, probably our parents' living memory. Uh, I, I don't know where, I don't know, you know, Mikel Arteta, I think if he hadn't have won the FA Cup, he probably wouldn't have a job now. That's my opinion. Uh, I don't get the decision to, I know, I'm, I know he earns a lot of money, but I don't get the decision to just banish Mesut Ozil from, from the squad. I think he's, He's probably not what he was, but I think he's a lot better than what they've got on the pitch at the minute. Um, but the thing is, if they sack Arteta, do they just go through this circle again? They bring in a new manager, improve like they did under Unai Emery, like they got, you know, they got a bounce when Arteta come in. It's just going to be a, a bit of a circle. I don't, I, I don't know where Arsenal go from here. I really don't. It's it's a really weird situation, isn't it? I mean, Mesut Ozil, that that's a situation we spoke about quite a few times on the podcast. It's a a lot of issues, I think, behind the scenes, and it's a bit of a one that none of the fans and 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 the, and the players and the team and the manager, like everyone, kind of has their own different accordance of events. And you hear little snippets from from all around, but um, he's certainly a player which Arsenal may have missed. It's the creativity, I feel, which is where Arsenal are particularly mm. struggling. I don't know if you agree with that, Alfie. Yeah, I think a lot of Arsenal fans are sort of got like a short memory I think watching him the last couple of seasons he, like I say he's, he's not been nowhere near what he was five five seasons ago six seasons ago but he can't he can't be much worse than, than what we've got currently I mean he's even tried playing Lacazette in that in that role which fair play he, he did well against I think Mulder in, in the Europa League but I mean they're not the sort of teams you're coming up against in the Premier League and, and 
and he, he like I say, he's a he's a, for, he's a he's a forward, not that sort of number ten role, which which Özil is, and and plays so well that like we have seen in in the few seasons. So, I think to say that he's not in the Premier League squad because of footballing reasons, I think there is something behind it. Whether he's fallen out with the manager, whether it's political, I mean, I, I don't look too much into it, but I, I just don't know. Like Alex said, I don't know where we go from here. You can't keep sacking managers over and over again. I think you've got to let Arteta be backed. You say he's brought in two big players in Party and Gabriel. Gabriel's been our player of the season so far by a mile. Yeah, um, yeah. and like I say with Party. I mean, he'd only missed something stupid like four games through injury at Atletico. And he's, he's missed more with us so far. Mm. I mean, he's a big miss. Like I say, Old Trafford, man at match for me. Um, and we've really missed him in midfield. I mean, Xhaka is... I, I defended him under Arteta. I thought he'd improved a bit. But I mean, now, especially against Burnley, cost us the game there yeah. with, with an absolutely stupid decision. I mean... And that, that's what he's, he's known for at Arsenal and he will be known for, really. Um, I don't think Sabas has been good enough. El Nenny put in that performance, like I say, at Old Trafford and give us false hope. But since then, he, he's been poor. Um, and like I say, I, th- I mean, that just is the, the word to sum up the season, really poor yeah. in, all, in all areas, really. I think there's a lot of sticklers around in the team which have kind of exceeded their kind of shelf life at Arsenal. They've been around for quite a while. Mm. Um, it was at the start of the season, I think we on the average pundits voted, I think me and Reese were both in conjunction with William as one of our, if not our worst signing of the season in terms of the long haul. And we did a collaboration with the guys over at Total Sport. If you haven't seen that, it's over on our YouTube, go check that out. But um, Alex, I mean, if we look at William, the signing, a Premier League veteran, a good servant to Chelsea over the years, a very you know solid player. But at that age, on a two-year deal on the contract, what do you reckon the thought process was there as the marquee signing? Well, I, I was completely baffled when they gave him the contract that they did. You know, you'd have thought with Chelsea not giving it him, why would Arsenal go and do that? I, I, I don't know. Like when when he first signed, I thought he'd be not a good. I don't know how to describe it. A useful signing. I thought he'd have his moments. Um, but I remember I watched. Uh, was it Fulham you played first game in the season, Alfie? Yeah, where he yeah, got the, the, the hat trick of assist. I remember. Wa- I remember watching that with you, and I, and I thought, you know, he might be all right here, but he's done nothing since that. I just think he's come to Arsenal, and he's he's just there to pick up a wage. To be honest, a very good one by the sounds of it as well. Yeah, it sounds like. I mean. It, it was just, I remember looking at it. I, I, I saw the interest at first and I was thinking, oh, okay, like, I don't doubt anything's going to come through with this. But, you know, he, he, he's in the club at the moment and you can only hope, you know, I guess for the Arsenal fans that he, he comes in and he provides something. We know he's got the creative outlet. We know he's also got firepower. When he reaches the form, he, he's obviously got competition on that right with, uh, with Pepe, who's, again, kind of not really hit the full potential at Arsenal. But, you know, I think the second half of the season is going to be a real test because right now the conversation everyone's throwing around the term is Arsenal in the relegation battle. And I don't know how I feel about it on face. You know, it's, it, it's something that we have touched on, but you know, Alfie's relegation battle, is that harsh? Or do, do you reckon, because I, I personally can't see them going down, but they're, they're definitely in the lower half of the table. That's undeniable. Mm, I, th- I think, You've, you've sort of got to call it in a relegation battle, I say, with us being down there. I mean, Burnley, I, mean, I, think, I think it's their worst start to a Premier League season. They've got a game in hand with us. And if they, beat, if they, if they 
win that game in hand, they're above us. Um, so you, you definitely have to say it is a relegation battle, I suppose. But like I said, I, I don't think, I hope we don't go down. You, you really can't see like a team that's got players such as like Bamiang, Leno, you know, Gabriel, all, all these like sort of star players, really. You can't see them going down. But I, 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 I don't think you'll go down, but you've got to, you have got to call it a relegation battle. Mm. That's what it is. Um, you know, if Leicester, if everyone's writing Leicester, was writing Leicester off to win the league all those years ago, you can't write Arsenal off for getting relegated. I don't mm. think you'll get relegated, but I'm not, you know, you're not big enough, to, sorry, you're not too big to get relegated, if that makes any sense. Mm, well, exactly. But no, we, we, we were, um, we were saying, I think sort of, it might be sort of a good thing, I think, for the club, sort of realising that we were, it makes definitely makes me appreciate the last years under Wenger. You know, him scraping top four with some absolutely bang average sides, um, and it does make you look back and think you, you take it for granted. But it might be like a sort of a wake up call for the club. You know, doing doing so poorly. I mean, you look at we were on about looking at Chelsea the other year. You know, they they they, they were so poor. Mourinho obviously got sacked. I think they finished tenth that season. Um, and then they bounce back the, the next year. They, they have a year out of European football, which I think, to be honest, would probably be best for us. I mean, playing Thursdays isn't ideal when you've obviously got you've got to travel back. The freight it's it, you don't give you much time to prepare for the weekend games. So, and I mean, like watching Europa League games, especially the group stage ones, they're absolutely dire. Yeah, it's a, it's a competition that I've found United in quite a few times over the last few years. I don't think anyone really enjoys it that much. But um, Arsenal, definitely a club to watch in the second half of the Premier League season. We'll move on to Aston Villa. Um, Alex, I'll start with you for Villa. You know, uh, as, as a you know a guy from the Midlands, I'm sure you know plenty of, uh, plenty oh, of yes. fans. And, uh, I think uh, a, a few of them have a tendency to get under the skin occasionally. But Aston Villa, I mean, how would you assess their, uh, their start to the Prem so far? No, they've been very good. Um not something I particularly enjoy saying, but they they've been excellent. I'll 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 give them that. I think um, the signings they made in the summer they've been they've worked. Uh, I think they've got a likable manager. I'll give them that. A very good captain and focal point in Jack Grealish. Um, the only thing I could probably say about Villa is the home form could improve. They've won two, which was against Sheffield United, and that ridiculous game against Liverpool uh, so I think if they improve on that home form I think they'll probably finish in the top 10 Yeah I don't think I can disagree there I mean definitely um, at the moment they are looking like a real good Premier League uh, Premier League side it wasn't too long though I mean obviously with with, with the, the struggles last season you know they can't come up to the Premier League spending 100 million looking a bit lost where's that money gone Jack Grealish obviously being the standout player and kind of everyone expecting Grealish to go and you know it was a whole thing over the summer and everyone was waiting for it and it ends up with a five-year deal uh Alfie ret retaining a, a, a captain a leader a talent like Jack Grealish do you feel like that has been the undeniable kind of push for Villa to be doing so well this season oh 100% I think a, t a club like Villa keeping a player like Jack Grealish is, is massive I mean I, I, I think he, he's one of the well if not the player of the season so far and he's just a joy to watch, like I say. Should have been playing for England. Obviously, finally got his, his sort of his role in the team. And, I mean, he, he's proved why he should be in there. And, like I say, for Villa, he's just been sensational this season. I mean, he's, got, he's already hit, I think, 
think I think he's got eleven goals and assists this uh, so far this season. Um, and like I say, he's he's just pretty. He, he drives at people. He, he scores goals. He makes chances. He, he's just like the player that you, you'd want in your team. And I mean, like I say, as a captain, like Alex was saying, he's just he's just been brilliant for Villa so far. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, Alex um, Grealish again. Not try, try, it's hard not to move away from Grealish. Obviously, he is the the, the main man at Aston Villa. Um, aside from amazing performances on the pitch, not going into too many details, but he is definitely a a big name in the in in, in the red top papers. Um, yeah. Do, do you think Grealish's kind of you know so called party boy lifestyle is kind of like you know actions during the coronavirus pandemic? Do you feel like this is going to be a common occurrence in his career going forward or do you feel like it's kind of just you know just one of those things with a player at that age that kind of money that lifestyle he's um how old is he i'm not i'm not too sure myself about 25 is he 25. he's he's a young lad uh he's just been given a massive five-year contract in the summer um he'll mature with age as a person and as a footballer i think it's just it's just one of them things that happens. I'm sure if there wasn't a pandemic going on at the minute, you probably wouldn't hear too much about it. Okay, it's irresponsible, but I think, like I say, I think with time, he'll just mature and I think he'll snap out of it. Yeah, I think you touched on it there. I think during times of crisis, you know, obviously there hasn't been too much news other than, you know, the odd sport result when sports allowed to be played and obviously the coronavirus. So whenever anything like that leads, it definitely does lead in a big way. But, um, Aston Villa overall, I think we can all agree, you know, a really good start to the Premier League season. Very interesting to see how they continue and maybe they might sign someone in January. Um, I'll still start a view on this one, Alfie. Brighton, yeah. again, a team for me, um, I've quite enjoyed watching Brighton this season. Mm. I don't know about you. There's been pockets of players in that team which have been absolutely brilliant to watch in my, in my own eyes. I'm not sure how you felt so far about Brighton. Yeah, I think they've, they've really been unlucky this season. You looked sort of, especially the United game, the Man United game was was a big one. Obviously, Trossard it. I think he hit both posts in the bar. Yeah. Solly March at the bar. Obviously, there was a penalty after full time, which was legally given, but controversial to say the least. Um, but no, they they have they've got a good manager. I think in in Graham Power. he he um, he's got them playing good football. And like I say, unlucky at times. Um, I was going to move on to the Liverpool game. Uh, yeah. We watched the Liverpool game. Obviously, Morpé missed the penalty to take the lead. Um, and they, they did miss a few chances. And I think that's sort of going to be what lets them down this season. Not being clinical when they're on top of games, not taking the chances. And I think, so, like say, the Liverpool game, they, they, they got the penalty in, the, I think, the 93rd minute, which sort of saved it for them. But they shouldn't be leaving it that late. They should be taking the penalty. It's a poor penalty from Morpé. And he's come off injured straight after it. Um and like I say, taking these chances while they're on top, especially when they're so... I don't, I like, I don't think their league position sort of reflects the way they've been playing this season. Like I say, enjoyable to watch at times. But like I say, they've got to take these chances so they start picking up more results. Yeah, no, definitely. I think a lot of times you could say they definitely have been hard done by... Obviously, the penalty shot against United was one that... It's, it's a scenario, like you said, legally given, but one that we haven't seen, you know... I, I can't even think of a time where we have seen anything as controversial as that. And I think that mm. probably so far stands out as one of the most controversial Premier League moments this season. 
Um, going back to talking about some of the players, um, one player which has stood out for me in particular is um, Lamptey at right back, obviously. A player signed from Chelsea, part of the kind of generation of Chelsea players which possibly go under the radar and, you know, kind of more of a Chelsea success story, I say, an escapee which doesn't stay at Chelsea for too long and just kind of like over simmers, like a loftus cheek kind of kind of example. Um, a lot of people have been looking at him. Um, Alex, I wanted to know if you feel like his position at Brighton's a threat in January, with a lot of clubs potentially looking for a good quality attacking fullback. Um, I think uh, Brighton. I think they'll be safe in January just because of the times that we're living in. I don't think many clubs can justify going out spending lots of money on a right-back and Brighton are going to want to value him very highly. Uh, but he's a fantastic player. He's been a joy to watch. He was brilliant against um, against Tottenham. Another game they were unlucky in. The thing is with Brighton, like I fully agree that every time I've seen Brighton, they've been unlucky. Uh, United, uh, I thought they gave Chelsea a good game on the first day of the season. They were good against Spurs where they lost. But the thing is with Brighton, I think Unlucky teams get relegated. And if Brighton don't start getting the rub of the green after Christmas, I think they could go down. Yeah, I, I definitely think that it would be a real shame to see that. But you, you are right. It's, it's good performances. You know, they're, they're, they're amazing to watch. But at the end of the day, if the results aren't coming in, then that's when you find your, your team in struggle. You, you can't kind of get through on good performances alone. Um, and we did touch on, on, on Graham Potter as, as a manager, you know, somebody, you know, young, quite uh, fairly early on in his managerial career, definitely got, got ground above him. Do you feel like there's a direct ascension plan for him within the Premier League? Do you, could, could you see him, you know, potentially managing another club if Brighton were to go down, Alfie? Um, I definitely could like to say I like him as a manager. I think he did a good job at Ostersons. Beat us a lot at the Emirates Stadium. So, obviously, that's, that was a big result for him in Sweden. Obviously, he's come over to England, and like I say, I think he does play. He plays good football, um, and yeah, I, th I think he could potentially get a, get, a, get a job in the especially as you see some of the, the managers that are still get. I mean, Big Sam still getting a job um, in the Premier League. I, I still think there's there's definitely room for like young, exciting managers such as like Graham Potter. Um, but yeah, there's. I mean, there's definitely plenty of teams that would take him um, in the Prem. I'd say, yeah. Yeah. We'll move on to Burnley now. We'll finally get to talk about Burnley. We'll start with you, Alex, for you know a club which I, I'd almost describe them as frustrating, Burnley. I, I don't know about you, but I, I often at times find it hard to believe they've kind of survived playing this kind of football for so long. I think you have to credit Sean Dyche as a manager because you know he's Burnley have been a Premier League mainstay for, for, for a long time now. But I wonder if you think, well, how long can this kind of go for? Like, how, how often will he be able to keep playing this kind of football? I, um, I thought at the start of the season that this would be Burnley's year uh, to go. I think I watched them play against Newcastle um, right at the start of the season and, and they looked terrible. You know, they made, you know, Newcastle ain't renowned for playing the best football, but they made Newcastle look like Barcelona. Uh, but, to their credit, well, to Sean Dyche's credit, you know, he, he's turned it round, and in the last few weeks, Burnley looks a lot more solid. Um, and I think it goes on, going back to your question, it goes on for as long as Sean Dyche is there. I think he's that good of a manager. You know, only Burnley uh, in the Premier League would losing Jeff Hendrick be a, be a big loss. <laughs> uh, but they lost him in the summer, and 
you can't really notice because they, you know they they I think they, the draw with Everton was a bit of a turning point and they've looked a lot more solid. They got a good point at Villa last week, uh, a very good win last night, um, and I think Burnley will probably stay up again. Much yeah. to people's frustration. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think they will. Um, but like like I said, a, a frustrating team at times. Um, Alfie, the, the the quality of football like that Burnley do play. We we, we all know Sean Dyche is is, is really a good manager. A manager yeah. probably gets underlooked for the kind of football that Burnley plays. It's almost kind of a running joke in the Premier League amongst fans. The kind of like style of play you expect when you go to go play Burnley away. But playing this kind of football, can you see like any potential? You know. Ascension for Burnley, keeping the same kind of mentality they play. I mean, like, like, or as long as Sean Dyche is there, do you feel like that is just what we're getting? That's like solidified. I think, yeah, I think they say stick with what what you know best, and I think it definitely works for Burnley. You know, they come to the Emirates, albeit like say a, a lucky, well, you could say it was a lucky win, the own goal, a Bamiyang putting his home there. Um, but like I say, it gets results, it keeps them up. I mean. They really have got an, an old-fashioned team, but I, I like some of their players. I think Nick Pope in there, he had a shaky start to the season, but he's definitely, he, he, he's he's proving why he gets picked for England. I mean, at the back, Tarkowski and me, they've, they've, got, that, they've got that partnership. They know each other really well. And I think Tarkowski's a brilliant centre-half, personally. I think yeah. Ashley Barnes, it's good for him getting that goal last night. Um, I think that was his first in the league this season. He, he, he's usually one that, that chips in with a few goals. And I think with Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes, the two strikers that, that like you say, they fit Sean Dyche's style of play. Um, the really, I say, traditional strike, good in the air. Um, and like I say, as, as long as Sean Dyche is there, I think they'll, they'll stick with that football and, and genuinely think that that will still keep them in the Prem. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, go, uh, go, 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 go for it. What I see with Burnley is, I think they're very similar to when Stoke first come up to the Premier League mm -hmm. uh, but the worst thing you know Stoke losing Tony Pulis wasn't you know they managed to adapt but I don't think Burnley could do that you know there were murmurs that Deutsch was thinking of leaving in the summer which I think would have been disastrous for Burnley because I don't think anybody else with that squad would even give them a prayer uh, so I think you know if Burnley keep Dyche, if he decides to stay, if they, I think I think they'll stay up continually. Yeah, I mean, Alfie touched on it by, by talking about Pope as well and how good a goalkeeper he is. One final point that I was going to ask you, Alex, um, avid England follower as well, would you put Pope as England's number one, or do you still think Pickford and and, and Henderson are, are kind of getting around? It's a tough. I one. I am going very much against the popular opinion here, I would actually stick Jordan Pickford as number one. Uh, I don't think he's ever let England down. I think he's been I think he's been decent in recent weeks. Uh, for me, going into the Euros, I personally would be happy to see Jordan Pickford as England's number one, but that's up for lots of debate, which I'm, I'm sure you're going to give me. <laughs> Jordan Pickford for number one. If you, any of you have any interesting points about that, please make sure you leave a comment. I'll stay quiet on that one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that can be quite a controversial one, but <laughs> we, move, we move swiftly onwards. Um, I believe next is Chelsea, boys. Chelsea, um, Alfie, I'll start with you. Chelsea, in terms of how far this season's gone, Frank Lampard as a manager, the squad they've got. There's been a couple of big signings they bought in in the summer, which I feel have 
really not hit the ground running so far. There's obviously very talented guys in Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. Um, mm. How would you assess the situation so far? I think it's definitely been disappointing for them. Um, so they were good last night. So say beating a West Ham side that have been impressive this season. But like you say, Havertz and Werner, the money they spent on them, you'd, you'd sort of expect them to, for that money, sort of hit the ground running. I, I mean, we've watched Werner. He, he doesn't look brilliant. I know a lot of German fans were saying, oh, they expected him to come over and they knew this was going to happen. But I thought for the money they spent on him, he, he would have chipped him. I think he's got four four goals in the league this season. You know, it's it's not brilliant. Um, and like I say, Havertz the same. He got that hat-trick against Barnsley. And I think everyone thought, right, this is going to be him getting into it. But I think with Havertz, it's a diff- I think he's obviously a lot younger. He's only 21, I think. He he will definitely be one one for the future. And I think next season, give him a season to adapt to English football. Like I say, Werner keeps saying he, he, he's hating the physicality of the Premier League. Once they've had a year to adapt to it, I think next year will be the year. But I know, like me and Alex have said a lot, I, I don't think Lampard's really the man. If If he wasn't a Chelsea legend, I don't know if he'd still be there. Especially this season, there's a lot more pressure on him with, with the money he's spent. Plus he's brought Ziyech in as well, who, who's had his injury problems. Um, but still, with that squad they've got, you'd expect him to be doing a lot better. I mean, like I say, disappointing, really, as far as Lampard will probably be concerned. Lingering on the Lampard point... Um... It's something which I'm sure we're going to bring up in a, for a, you know a couple of other teams maybe in the Premier League. Obviously, no names mentioned, but hiring uh, ex players as managers. Um, Alex, do you feel it comes with a certain risk? You know, because obviously Lampard, I'd be Chelsea's maybe him and Terry in the conversation, but Chelsea's best ever player, and he's at the helm at Chelsea. Doesn't make the situation so much harder when it comes to the decision of whether he carries on his future there. Look, I think Chelsea are a work in progress. I do. I think Lampard's not the finished article as a manager yet. Uh, I wouldn't see the point in sacking him. But that being said, you know, Chelsea have got a history of being very um, harsh on sacking managers. You know, you take uh, Ancelotti, you know, uh, Di Matteo, who just won a Champions just to name a few. Uh, if... Frank Lampard wasn't Frank Lampard. I think he'd be under a lot more pressure than he is with them sitting fifth in the table. Uh, I think I think he finds it hard to get results against the top sides. You know, they've played Liverpool, Everton, Man United and Tottenham this season. They haven't beat one of them. Um, and I think you have got a question how good some of the signings have actually been. Ironically, you know, their best signing has been the one they got for free, which was Thiago Silva, who was unbelievable last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Alfie said, I think if you need to give Werner and Ziyech, not Ziyech and Havertz, well, Ziyech as well, I suppose, uh, a bit of time to adapt to the Premier League. But if you want top four, like Chelsea are going to want, or even a title charge, you haven't got time to let people adapt. But the way I see Chelsea is just a work in progress. Yeah, no, I definitely feel there is groundwork that's been laid there. And like I said, it, it is time. You have to give these players and, and, and teams time. And that is a good point that I had to, uh, to come on to. We already spoke about um, some of the signings they brought in. Kai Havertz, mainly, 21 years of age, you know, a, a young guy, his whole career in front of him, you know. Do you feel like we put too much pressure on our youth talent in football today? Because, you know, obviously the success story everyone looks to in, you know, the last few years has been Kylian Mbappe over at PSG. And 
obviously the, the the stuff he's been doing has been nothing short of miraculous at that age you know bursting onto the scene so early at monaco securing a huge money move to psg and it's kind of almost destined in the stars that at some point he's going to end up at a big club like real madrid as well you know it's it always just kind of kind of seems laid out for him but you know, our own talents in the Premier League, you know, at Arsenal, you know, you've got Martinelli, you've got Mason Greenwood, Phil Foden, just to name a few. There are so many other young talents in the Premier League. And I guess you could call Kai Havertz that. He wasn't homegrown, but, you know, bought in at a young age. Um, I'll talk to both of you about this, but after I'll start with you. Do, you. do you feel we put too much pressure on our youth, particularly? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think... As well, there's too much pressure on the price tag. I think sort of like say, I know, I know, I've discussed when you're spending that sort of money on a player, you expect him to to hit the ground running. But especially like say with a 21 year old, he hasn't chosen that price. That's what they've valued him at, and and it's like say the the amount of pressure, especially from the media, like Twitter, it's sort of comparing them to one and each other. But the the young lads at the end of the day, it's like they're our age, and they're playing Premier League football. I mean. Like, like you say with Mbappe, Haaland, there is sort of like anomalies where they, they are world-class footballers as teenagers. But, I mean, they've still got 10 years left ahead of them in, in the Premier League, if not more. Um, so putting the pressure on them now to sort of carry the team. I know like for us this season, Bukayo Saka really has carried us. But the amount of pressure that must be on the young lad's uh, shoulders, like I say with, with Havertz, with how much he cost. I think he was... Um, was he was four? Was it how much was he? Seventy-five million, something, something like that. It you was think, around the, that that kind of area. It was, it was yeah. Huge. And and you think when you're that young, you've got that that price tag on your on your shoulders. The weight of of performing it it must be horrible. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Alex, would you say the same? This is my opinion on it, right? And you're going to laugh at me for saying this, but I genuinely think there is such a mentality around these young players. And I genuinely believe this, that they are good on FIFA, so they expect them to come over to the Premier League and for them to just tear it apart. That's not crazy. I don't think that's crazy. I see exactly what you mean. You know, people, and I would say younger people, have expected Kai Abbott to come over and be really good just because they've used him on FIFA once or twice when anyone with a reasonable <laughs> mind knows he's going to take time to, to break in uh, and perform. But... Yeah, like I said, I just I think the mentality around young players is they're not the finished article. Uh, another good example at Chelsea would be Mason Mount. I like Mason Mount. I think he comes in for a lot of harsh criticism. I think because he's not Jack Grealish uh, with the whole England thing. Uh, but like I said, I think you need to give these players time to mould into the player that they will become. And Kai Havertz will come good. I'm I'm confident in that. Yeah, I mean, we've seen them do it before. We've seen them do it in... in different areas at Chelsea. You've seen them do it for, for different clubs that they previously play, played for. But yeah, there, there is a lot of pressure on these guys' backs. And we are living in a, in a FIFA-orientated generation. You know, all football fans play FIFA. All football fans play football manager. It's, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And I, I felt, I see there's a lot of legs in, in, in your statement there with, you know, people, you know, seeing these guys in, the, in a virtual game and thinking, yeah, you know, they're going to come over and bag straight away. Um, moving away from Chelsea, uh, Crystal Palace next on, on, on my list. Um, it's kind of hard to assess Crystal Palace, I think, so far. Um, I think at times they've exceeded, you know, I think I'd say. And I think there's other times where I feel like maybe they've been a bit hard done by. There's, 
they're one of those bogey teams for a lot of top Premier League clubs. They can come to your ground and they can give you a really, really tough game. Uh, right now, Alex, where would you kind of assess Crystal Palace so far? Solid. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary, but nothing, you know, nothing to worry about. I think they'll be clear of any real danger. Uh, my only criticism of Crystal Palace would be they are so over-reliant on Wilfred Zaha. Uh, you know, me and Alfie watched the Palace-Newcastle game on the Friday night. Uh, Zaha, I think he was self-isolating and he looked, and so they looked appalling. Uh, and then they went and lost the next game against Burnley. Or it might have been the game. It was one of them. Zaha didn't play against Burnley or Newcastle and they looked terrible. I think Eze is probably going to be there's a hard replacement in time, but I don't think he's the finished article yet. But with Wilfred Zahara, I just think they look like a, a typical Roy Hodgson side, a solid outfit that will cause a few upset. You know, I know they got battered 7-0 at the weekend, but that anyone down there can get battered 7-0 by Liverpool. I don't care. Mm. Uh, but yeah, with Zahara, I think they just look like a, a, a typical Roy Hodgson outfit who are going to be hard to beat. And at the end of the day, pick up enough points to steer clear of any real danger. Yeah. Wilfred Zaha has been someone that the you know, Premier League fans have molded for a very long time. You know, There's been a lot of doubts about whether he'd stay at Palace, whether he was going. But there was times where he was definitely going. Arsenal was one of the destinations mm. we were talking about only, only what, like two seasons ago. Um, mm. So I think he has been there for a very long time. And you touched on uh, Eberichi Eze as well, the signing brought in in the summer which was kind of like a mini saga in their own right. They were chasing him for quite a while. We, we spoke to journalist, um, Guardian journalist Ed Ahrens, and he's a big Palace fan, and he was very keen on getting him in and wasn't too familiar with his work over at QPR. And then I, I see him in the Premier League, and I think, oh, wow, this guy does have flair. Like, he's someone who can, you know, be built upon and be a, quite a good player for Palace. And I think uh, potentially as a Zaha long-term replacement, you know, that, that could be something that we see. In the well, future. Zaha's not getting any younger as well, mm. I think. Is he 28 now? Yes, he's, he's getting on. I'd say he's got three years left at his best, and then that's when they need Eze to. You know, it's kind of like passing the baton over in the in the in the relay. I think they're going to pass the baton over yeah. to Eze to be that focal point. Uh, you know, Zahari is a club legend at Palace. I don't think there's any doubt in that for what he's done. I think he's single-handedly kept them in the Premier League at times, but I think I think they will end up phasing him out. Uh, and giving that, you know, building the team around Eberich Eze like they have done with Zaha. I, th I think it's almost unjust in that Zaha was definitely a player which could have gone to astronomical heights. I mean, Alfie, as we mentioned, Arsenal was potentially one of those destinations. Mm. And looking back maybe two seasons ago, do you feel like he should have capitalised or tried to push even harder? Because obviously there was a lot of resistance from Palace. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I remember we were looking at signing him at the same time as, as Nicolas Pepe. And I remember thinking at the time, obviously Pepe's a lot younger. And I, I genuinely at the time thought that Pepe would have been a better signing. But I mean, how wrong. I mean, he, I've seen how good he's, he, like you say, they do rely on Taha a lot. And he's just a brilliant player. And I, 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 it's a shame, really, that, that he picked the Ivory Coast over England because I think he would have been a useful outlet for England. Um, but no, like you say, he's, he's just. A wonder to watch, and and when he's not in the team, they do play a lot different. But just to touch on the the seven nil against Liverpool, I don't know if you if you actually watched the game, but I thought first half Palace were hard done by going in at three nil down at half time. Yeah, I thought Ayu 
missed a couple of chances. There was that cutback for he, he tried to cut it back to Zahar, and it's a poor pass, and it's chances like that that, that they'll regret. Um, but like Alex says, I think Royal they are a solid side. I know it's funny saying that on the back of a seven nil defeat, but like they, they, I think it was West Brom they turned over five one. I think even Benteke's chipped in with a couple goals, and I think that's another a player if they can get Benteke firing again. I know he he scored a couple in recent weeks, and you know he got sent off. I think if you can get him firing, I think then you know Palace will, will, will look even better. Yeah, I mean, we all remember what a player like Benteke can do. You know, it wasn't very long ago that he was doing it for for Aston Villa. You know, it was maybe the Liverpool signing which I think halted him quite in, in quite a way. Obviously, that was definitely not a, a finished article Liverpool side. Um, but moving moving swiftly on, um, Everton I've got next on my list, and I'm sure that Everton are a club which all three of us could you know have quite a lot to talk about. I mean, at the start of the season. I was looking at their transfer window because we did a lot of coverage for for the for the, for the transfer window, talking to a lot of a lot of journalists about Everton in particular and who they were trying to bring in, and you know myself and and Reese, we we both couldn't quite believe the kind of works they were doing. You know, bringing in Carlo Ancelotti alone was was absolutely crazy when there were other clubs that were crying out for a top manager and Everton sweep under the radar and grab him. I, I think Carlo Ancelotti is an absolutely fantastic manager. Mm. Um, but their season so far, um, Alex, with the players they've brought in, how would you kind of assess it? Because there's been so many highs and then also just been times where you're just thinking, oh, come on now. Like, you've got all this. Um, got, what's going on? I think it's, on the whole, been very good. I don't think you can argue with it. Uh, I think Everton, you could probably label them the past 10 years the perennial under-strugglers of the Premier League. Uh, oh, sorry, underperformers, performers under-strugglers. Uh, I think but they had that mini-dip where they won one game in six. Uh, but I think, to their credit, the last three games, I think they've beat Chelsea, Leicester and Arsenal. Uh, and they're looking, they're looking very good. And I think they've got a brilliant manager and I think they'll get in the Europa League. Yeah, I, I I can't help but agree. I think I think if if the performances can if they, if consistency can be shown, I think there's no reason why they couldn't go to the Europa League and have a really good good time there. You know, um, I just got a touch as well. I'm I'm so happy to see Dominic Calvert Lewin scoring the goals that he is. I think he's brilliant for English football, and I think he can be an asset to England. I think he's having a brilliant season. Full credit to him. I'm I'm actually really happy to see him scoring yeah. as many as he is. It's, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? And, and, and good goals as well. Not like little kind of scrappy things. He, he can do it all. I mean, a lot of goals in the air as well. Really, really naturally kind of talented striker. And he offers a different dynamic to England as well. He offers something which the other strikers don't, I feel. Um, but one of the big signings coming out in, um, in the summer, one of the big names flown around the world in terms of signings, no one was really seeing it coming, was James Rodriguez coming to the Premier League. And quite a lot of people were very quick to undersell it and think, what on earth is that? That's 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 a, such a typical Everton signing, signing a finished player, and yet he's come in and you've seen flares of that player we know that he can be, and I feel like he's done quite well so far, and he has he has the ability to do more. Um, Alfie Hamas Rodriguez, a player of Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Monaco, Porto, you know, some huge name clubs behind him. Do you feel like Everton was a step down for him, or do you feel like it was a, a worthy project to attach himself to and to try and? project himself back into where he can play? I think it was definitely the right move for his career. And then moving to a club that they've obviously got a project ongoing. They've got a good manager, like you say, in Ancelotti. 
Um, and I think he, he, he was sort of a stalemate at Real Madrid. You know, people were saying he was living off the 2014 World Cup, which he was obviously absolutely world class at. And I think, in a way, it was sort of like a, a move to refresh his career. And I think he, he has done that. Obviously, you say he's shown glimpses of what he can do. Um, and on his day, he, he is a world-class footballer. He, he's creative. I mean, he is genuinely one of the slowest players I've ever seen. He does not like to run. He jogs around. He, he walks around. But, I mean, when you're as good as him, you, you just can, can't you? I mean, set pieces. Every, he's just... And, I mean, like you say, touch upon their summer signings. I think Alan was a fantastic signing. I think he was a really good player. For Napoli, he, he's sort of like one of them players. He he just does love loves doing all the dirty work. He's everywhere, and even Ducore, I think he was another good signing from Watford. Played played well for them, obviously. He, despite getting relegated, still a good signing for them. And um, I think the signs be a lot more sensible with the signings. You know, you look the forty million for Awobi. I know he's sort of picking up a little bit of form, but it's still ridiculous money when you, when you think about it for a player of Awobi's quality. And I think they're sort of moving away from these sort of ridiculous signings and, and the, the, the making signings that are definitely going to improve them and hopefully for them, push them back into European football. I think that comes in with good leadership, doesn't it? More thought out, more calculated signings. And, you know, who's more calculated than Carlo Ancelotti? You know, I, I feel like it was, again, accounting to sell it, just a, an incredible pull for a manager for, for, for Everton. Um, someone which arguably they deserve. They've been knocking, I think, I've, I've said it quite a while as well, that Everton every now and again, they get these run of players and they get a little bit of run of form and you think, hang on a minute, are they actually about to to do something here? Because, you know, everyone, I think everyone agrees that they do have groundwork there, which they've always been able to kind of push upon, but it always just kind of implodes. And I feel like Ancelotti could be the guy to maybe get them out of this situation. And I don't know about you, Alex, but one of my favourite players at Everton at the moment it's probably Luca, Luca Digne at left back. I, I feel like he is absolutely exemplary. I think he's one of the best fullbacks in the league. I think if probably if you compiled a, a top 10 in the world, I think you wouldn't be surprised if you'd see him on that list, in my opinion. Um, someone of his calibre, again, a lot of clubs are interested in him. He's, you know, he's, he's had, I think it was PSG and Barcelona on his list already for a player you know, in his like mid to late 20s. Do you feel like a lot of these players that Everton do have, if there is, you know, obviously if the form continues, is there a risk of them leaving? Or do you feel the project is worthy to stay for? I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think, you know, like you said, Everton have had these run of players who have left, you know, even 10 years ago, Mikel Arteta, uh, Lukaku, just to name a few. I would, I would say it is a good project, but if Barcelona or Real Madrid or someone like that comes knocking, it's hard to turn it down. Uh, and I think, you know, if Calvert-Lewin keeps scoring, I don't see why a, why a Manchester City or a Manchester United wouldn't come knocking either. Yeah, I think it was, I think I saw, it was, I think it was a red top headline a while ago, but there was like 75 million interest from United. Obviously, you never know how much legs are in these comments, but like you said, a player of his calibre, if he keeps scoring, why not? You know, well, why not get that move? Um, moving on again, um, Fulham. Other, other kind of a, other kind of story here. I, I don't really know what to say about Fulham. I think I predicted them dead last at the start of my, um, at the start of the average pundits for this season. I think we did a, a Premier League table review, and I think that's where I had Fulham. Um, we'll start with you, Alfie. Fulham, 
what's there to say really then? Um, I think definitely the start of the season they were subpar, really poor. Um, and I think even Paddy Power after three games paid out for them to be relegated. I think that sort of summed up the way they started. But since they've 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 knocked on from that, they had a good result at Leicester, beating them two one. Um I think they were unlucky another team unlucky against Liverpool, obviously one up against them. Um, and I think a point against Liverpool, no matter if you're taking the lead, I think it's still a brilliant point, especially for a team like Fulham. And I think Scott Parker, he's a young manager. I think he speaks well. He, he's probably the right man for the job. And I think they have got quite a few good players in there. Lookman's young. I know that, that Penenka the other week was absolutely terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> it's them mistakes that they learn from and make them a better player. And I mean, Al- Alfonso Areola in net. I mean, what a what a lone side. No, no matter if he if he plays or doesn't play well. I mean, just for like the experience, you know, he's played for Champions League clubs. I think that's a, that's a brilliant sort of player. And, and Anthony Robinson, another good player. I mean, AC Milan wanted him yeah. from Wigan, so I think they have got the squad to potentially stay in the Premier League. I mean, if they build up on this current form, there's, there's no reason why they can't knock on, get a few few points on the bounce, and 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 stay up. Yeah, it it would be interesting to see if they if, if they can do it. But I feel like for every good player that they've got, I think they, there's also players which are just not up to the par of the Premier League. And obviously, you have a good season in the Championship, and you know, and the Championship they cannot be undersold. It's one of the hardest leagues in in world football, in my opinion. I think Alex, you, as an avid Championship viewer, I think you'd probably agree. But yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, some of the players that Fulham do have, um, they kind of do show that they are kind of lacking that next kind of step up. Do you feel that January could be a crucial window for them in order to hope to stay in the Prem? I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball about Fulham. I think they're going to stay up. Uh, I think, you know, don't get me wrong, they had a terrible start, but I think, you know, you can't write any team off after after three matches. You know, like when Alfie said, the bookies were paying out for them to be relegated. And I think you've got to credit Scott Parker, really, because I think it could have been very easy for heads to drop uh, and for Fulham to really, you know, be cut adrift. But, you know, they've got a few wins under their belt. Uh, I really like Scott Parker. I think, like Alf said, he speaks very well. He's a likeable bloke. He was a brilliant player uh, and a really likeable bloke. Uh, but like, I think Fulham do need some reinforcements in January. Uh, surprisingly, Mitrovic has kind of been pushed out of the picture a little bit uh, for some reason or other. Uh, and I thought they were very unlucky at the weekend. Uh, you know, even with 10 men, I thought they looked like they were going to win. But yeah, like you said, I think Fulham, if they can bring in some quality in January, I think they'll fancy their chances at staying up. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think they've got they've got the ability to, if well, as long as the signings come in. You know, like I said, Scott... the problem with Fulham is they're too naive. They play, they, you've got to credit the way they try and play football. They try and play some lovely stuff, but they're just not as good as it as other teams. It's brilliant in the championship and it's, you know, they're just going to get out footballed in the Premier League. It was the story of when they were, when they last come up. Um, but you've got to credit Scott Parker, the way they try and knock it about. But I think, if, like you say, if you bring some quality in, they could probably make a run at staying up. Yeah. Early on in his managerial career, I mean, we, we don't know where Scott Parker could have sent to. You know, hopefully he does have a few interesting things to put on his CV at the end of the Fulham run. Um, but moving on again, uh, Leeds I've got on my list. Leeds next. I think Leeds are another club which I think like, everyone probably has quite a lot to quite a lot of points to maybe mention. Um, 
Alfie, I'll start with you for Leeds. Um, I'll keep it open. How do you feel things have gone so far? I think you've probably come at the wrong time, obviously, on the back of a battering from United, from Man United. But um, I think they've had sort of a mixed start to the season. I think they're probably where they'll want to be. They're obviously the highest in the league out of any of the, the, the newly promoted teams. And at times, they, they do play really good football. It's attacking football. And they've been unlucky in a lot of games. They should have beat, beat us a lot um, they, when, when we drew 0-0. Pepe got sent off, stupid. But even before the red card, they were all they, they were in the bar, the post. Um, and like I say, there was a lot of people sort of doubting whether Bamford could be the man to lead the line for him. And I think this season, he's proved a lot of doubt was wrong. He, he, he's played well. And, and like I say, Leeds have played well. They've, they've, the thing is, like I say, with Leeds, it's all, well, it's either a, a goals fest or sort of, I, I mean, I always back goals in the Leeds games, but you look, obviously the nil-nil against Arsenal, the one-nil against Everton, but then they pull out 4-3 against Liverpool, the loss, which they could have easily won in. Yeah. I think it was a bit of a dodgy game against Fulham, the 4-3. I think them sort of games they should probably be winning. And obviously the six-two United, they're always exciting games, and you got to credit Bielsa for that. I mean, they do play good football, um, and I think they'll they'll definitely be safe this season, hundred percent. Yeah, I think I I predict them to be safe this season. I was definitely one of the people doubting Patrick Bamford at the start of the season, looking at his you know run in the Premier League prior. You know, you maybe would be quite quick to to, to cut him off and wonder if he can do it again, but. He's definitely someone having a good season as part of that squad. And you touched on Bielsa as a manager. Um, Alex, Bielsa, you know, he, you always see in like pictures, don't you, quotes from amazing managers in world football, amazing players in world football saying, Bielsa helped me to do this. Bielsa's one of the guys I look to. Guardiola's a massive advocate for Bielsa. Do you feel like he is one of the most under, possibly underrated managers in world football? Is, is he up there with the greats? Well, he won Coach of the Year, so I wouldn't say he's underrated. But um, I think, well, he won some award like that. I can't, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, I feel like you know, I was amazed when Leeds got him in, especially when they were in the Championship. Uh, I think you know they didn't go up the first season, and I wasn't surprised. I think he would have to take a year to get used to to England. You know, he he doesn't speak much English. It's a complete. He's never managed in England before. Uh, and well, they were worthy winners of the championship last season, and I think you got to credit him for coming uh, for coming up and giving it a good go. Uh, I think he is the catalyst, you know, for these managers such as Guardiola and Pochettino. And if people like that are speaking speaking that highly of you, then I think that the proof's in the pudding, really. Mm. And they definitely are kind of a, a Bond Villain Premier League club. They've got a lot of rivals in the Premier League, obviously. Seeing them play United, you know, and seeing us win against Leeds was uh, was particularly particularly fun. Um, I think they'll be. I think they're so good to watch. Uh, like we've said, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll just, just be looking over their shoulder a little bit at the minute. But you know, they've got West Brom and Burnley coming up, and I, I think that'll be six points. Yeah. And I think that'll kind of, you know, pull them away from the bottom, bottom three. And I think Leeds will finish about twelfth or thirteenth. Yeah, I can't, I can't but agree there. Um, moving on again, um, Leicester City, Leicester City, Leicester City. Right. So my. Overall views on Leicester. I, I really enjoy Leicester as a club. Again, another Midlands club. I'm sure Alex got a lot to talk about with Leicester, but um, I, I really enjoy them as a Premier League club. I I feel like they've got one of the best managers in the league in Brendan Rodgers. I'm a big fan of Brendan Rodgers. I, I I respect him when he was at Liverpool. It was just annoying. That's who he was coaching at the time. But um, 
I feel like he's done very good things with that Leicester squad. I feel like they've got some of the best, you know, individual area place players in the league. I think I've said it so many times, massive advocate for him on, on, the, on the pundits, Wilfred and Didi, just one of my favourite players within that kind of, in those Leicester ranks. Jamie Vardy firing on all cylinders again, you know, defying age, you know, just constantly coming in and doing such a good and efficient job in the Premier League. Um, Leicester, whether they'll be able to kind of reach the the heights of winning the league again is another question, in, in my opinion. But right now, they just always look like a top six contender. And I'm not sure what it's going to take to us take them to that next level. Because I, I agree, they should be looking at regular Euro, European football. I, I think that's something they should be aspiring to. And, you know, and who's to say not greater? You know, they should be looking at all these competitions thinking, oh, we could have a serious run at this with, with, with the players that we have. Um, but uh, I'll start with you, Alex, on this one. For another, like I said, another Midlands club. What, what do you feel is needed for Leicester to kind of maybe reach the height of heights again? Um, a bit of consistency, to be honest. You know, you look at Leicester's record this season. I think they've won nine, lost four, and drew zero. I think you know Leicester have put in some brilliant performances this season, but I think they've also put in some shockers as well. Uh, losing at home to Fulham, losing at home to I think it was West Ham. Uh, but then, you know, complete polar opposites. They went to the Etihad and won five, was it 5-1, five, 5-2? Five, 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 uh, went to the Emirates and won. Um, I think, you know, if Leicester can get a little bit of consistency, I think they'll be looking for top four. I don't think they'll get top four. I think they'll finish fifth. Uh, with You know, I think them and Everton will be the fifth and sixth place teams. Uh, but... You know, again, not particularly something I enjoy saying, but you've got to credit Leicester for what they've done, especially after, you know, the tragedy that they went through, uh, not last season, the season before. You know, full credit to Leicester. They've got a good manager, a really good squad of players, uh, and a cov boy in James Madison who's, who's doing really well for them. So. Yeah, a cov boy. Is it full disclaimer, if it wasn't already known by the pundits fans, uh, Alex is an avid Coventry City fan. So we'll put, put that in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, Leicester City, again, like, like you said, they're coming off the bat of, of, of a terrible incident which happened around the club. And I often feel like it, in, in, in kind of the polar opposite way, these incidents can unite a club together. And there was a strong affinity for when the club obviously won the Premier League. The fans were in disbelief it was a you know it was an incredible Premier League season it was well, you, you couldn't make it up could you I mean like how that kind of season went for them but um, obviously once a team like an under other once an underdog club does that well and kind of you know hits those kind of heights it can be extremely bittersweet for the fans to watch them continuously not do it again and I almost feel like maybe winning the Premier League with an underdog club can almost be obviously amazing at times but then the seasons to come when they aren't hitting those heights it, it, people can forget can't they people can forget like, well hang on a minute let's let's just steady on we've got to do an awful lot of work you know if we're going to want to carry on that kind of form um Alfie do you feel like Leicester could ever reach that kind of stage again could I mean even if they're clinching a league cup an FA cup something small again to start them off with, do you feel like they could ever be a regular you know Premier League title contender ever ever again um, I think you can't really write them off. Like Alex says, the one thing that lets them down is their consistency. Um, but no, I mean, this season, they're, they're up there, they're the top three this season. Are they second or third? Um, second. At the minute. Second. So there you, go. there you go. You can't write a team off in second, you know, playing good football. I mean, Vardy's playing some of the best football of his life. He, he generally gets better with age. Yeah. And I mean, 
when you've got a player like Vardy, you, you've got, like, say, Ndidi, fantastic player. Schmeichel is still a brilliant keeper. Mm. Um, they have got the players to, to maybe not challenge, like you say, for the league, but definitely to, to win a, a league cup or, or an FA Cup in the next couple of years. And if they start winning sort of the so-called like lower trophies, like, you know, like the League Cup, the, maybe the FA Cup, then that may, maybe like, that'll push them on to sort of attract better signings maybe. And then, like you say, in, in a few years, who says that they can't go on to, to challenge for the, for the Premier League title? I mean, Alex says that they don't think they'll get top four. I personally think that they'll, they'll sneak in the top four, maybe fourth. Um, because I think that would be a massive step up for them going from the Europa League to the Champions League. Yeah, I think it really depends on how we see clubs like United and Chelsea kind of end the season because that was certainly who they were competing with last season. So I think it depends on the kind of run and form we've seen, we see. And, and coming up as our next three teams, we've got a good Premier League trio, um, starting with league leaders and current champions, Liverpool. Um, again, a, a, definitely a very different start to the season than what we saw last season for them. Still, you know, absolutely incredible performances no one's denying this and you know but a, a, a season played with injury so far an injury which could have hit them you know in a very very bad way but I feel like it, it's, it's Klopp isn't a credit to him he's he's an absolutely top draw manager if not the best manager in the world at the moment and he could definitely get a lot out of the players that he does have but um, Alfie I'll start with you with Virgil van Dijk obviously that this is the bigger mission probably the best defender in the world when he's fully fit at the moment but how do you feel like that that defensive kind of injury has affected Liverpool so far? Um, do you know? What I think I think when you've got a manager like Klopp, he's dealt with it so well. I mean, Fabinho slotted into centre half, and I mean, he's made it his own. He, he's played brilliant. I mean, even I, I was a huge sort of critic of of Joel Matip, but I think he, he's he's slotted in as well, and he's played brilliantly. And I think it is all down, like you say, Klopp is hundred percent the best manager in the world at this current time. Um, but I think that the, the worst thing for the Van Dyke injury was sort of how it came about. I mean, it's a horrendous challenge from Pickford, isn't it? It's needless, it's rash. And obviously, it's offside, so it's even worse for him, sort of him not getting penalised for it. Um, but like I say, that they've just turned it, they've, they've sort of played it into their advantage, putting Fabinho, like I say, playing brilliantly. And I think with Liverpool, I, I remember Klopp saying at one time, it, attack is the best sort of defence. And I mean, like say, the front three they've got, without a doubt, is the best three in world football. And I mean, I criticised Jota as a sign at the start of the season. I thought it was a bit of a weird one, but he slotted into that sort of, say, four of, of the front three now. And I mean, when he plays, he, he's he's definitely been been playing like they want him to. So Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on the best, the best three in world football. I definitely feel like there's... Over the past few seasons, that's kind of been undeniable. Really, they've been they've been that good. Um, and you talk about like duos as well. I think like there's a, a big duo in the Premier League this season that we will go on to talk about a bit later. But Sadio Mane and, and, and Salah, you know, two just exemplary footballers. But Roberto Firmino has been somebody that's come under fire an awful lot this season from Liverpool fans and from other fans alone. Um, Reese. Big, big Liverpool fan on the podcast, and he is definitely a guy against Roberto Firmino, especially when Diogo Jota has been playing so well this season. But then again, Firmino will come back and he'll and he'll do something. And you think, okay, there there is flair there. There is still amazing, amazing talent there. Maybe this is why Klopp still favours him. Um, Roberto Firmino, Alex, do you feel like Diogo Jota could 
potentially bully him out of the team. I I like Firmino. I think he comes in for a lot of criticism. I think the work he does off the ball goes underappreciated. Uh, that being said, I think maybe the signing of Jota, uh, which has been a very shrewd bit of business, you know, for a deal that you know come from nowhere. I think it was deadline day it first got reported. Uh, but I think his, the signing of him has probably, you know, put a rocket up the backside of Roberto Firmino, really, uh, where he's thought, right, OK, they've brought someone in here. I could be phased out if, if this guy comes in and does really well. Uh, so he needs to get back to his A game. And I think, you know, to his credit, that's what he's done. I think, you know, he's not a massive goal scorer, but he's a scorer of important goals which is, you know, invaluable when Liverpool are in the position that they're in. As it's just, it's scary how good Liverpool look with all these injuries. I think they'd probably be waltzing away with the league again if, if they had a fully fit squad to choose from. I, th- I, think, I think you're 100% right there, but you said um, how good Liverpool look. Is it a case of just raw, incredible, amazing Liverpool? Or do you also think another contributing factor has been the standard of the rest of the league. Because, I mean, we mentioned at the start of the Premier League, some moments you're seeing clubs in a great spell of form. The next minute you're seeing them getting absolutely battered. I mean, I won't talk about them too much if we'll move on to them soon, but Manchester United are in third place. I do not know how that happened, but we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say, do you feel like it's been just, again, still exemplary Liverpool? Do you feel that like the rest of the league's form has had a, and also a bit of a, a factor in why they're maybe they're, they're looking so confident even with it. I, I, look, I don't think it's obviously, you know, I don't, the team we're going to talk about next uh, haven't been to the standard that they have been in recent years, but that you can't, you know, Liverpool can only beat what's in front of them uh, and they're doing it really convincingly. So I think you've, you've, you've got to give them credit. I think, like I said, they've got probably the best manager in the world at the minute. Uh, so yeah, I just think you know it's Liverpool have been exemplary. I don't think you can take that away from them. As, as painful as it is at times to, to say, you, you, you can't not credit them, can you? They are they are an excellent team with an excellent manager. Um, moving on, uh, Manchester City, another Premier League um, mainstay, an interesting club to talk about, an interesting season so far from them. Um, one point to start off with, I think Pep Guardiola signing and committing his future to Manchester City was something that. Certainly, I wasn't expecting. I thought it would be time for maybe to Pep to move on and someone else to come in. But here he is now. He's committed his future to Man City, providing everything goes goes well. Which I, I you know, Pep Guardiola is one of those managers you you struggle to see being sacked from a club. But um, Alfie, Pep Guardiola on a long term deal was that the right move? Um, I'm I'm never too sure with with Pep personally. I think he he, he needs the checkbook and he needs sort of the unlimited funds. And I mean, you've seen some of the defensive signings he's made. I think a lot of them have been poor, to say the least. And But I think when it comes to obviously signing attacking players, I mean, like I say, some of the signings that have been made under his tenure at, at Man City have, have have been absolutely fantastic. But I think one of the, one of the, uh, the main things, obviously they've dropped off this season. No, there's no doubt about that. And I think one of the main things he's failed to do as a manager is sort of replace Fernandinho. I think during his earlier years, he was one of the, the main players for Pep. And I think sort of he's getting on now. He's, he's into his 30s. He's, 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 I think he's still playing this season, isn't he? But it's just through injuries. And I think 
that's one of the things he's, he's failed to do is, is fully replace him. Mm. Um, and I think that's sort of what has caused sort of the, 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 like the, the last couple of seasons, the drop from Man City. So I think maybe, personally, I think it would have been time for Pep to go on and, and gone to a new challenge. But who knows? Let's see if he can in sort of rebuild the City side and get him back to fighting for the, for the title. Fernandinho, a, a great shout there. I feel like an underrated player, Fernandinho, in my opinion, in a lot of his Man City career. It wasn't until possibly the second half of, of whilst he's been at City that I've kind of truly looked at him and go, wow, he is actually a very, very valuable player. It's just always someone that I've known as a talent, but just maybe someone that just hasn't been put in those conversations. But I do definitely think he has been a great player for City over the years. Um, and Manchester City are in possession of arguably one of the best players, well, not, not even arguably, he is one of the best players in, the, in world football, and Kevin De Bruyne. Um, prob- probably the best midfielder in, in, in the Premier League, probably the, one of the best midfielders in world football, putting in that conversation. And um, I feel like whether Pep Guardiola, obviously whether they secured Champions League football last season, whether Pep Guardiola stayed, I feel like that was a big factor in a why a lot of the players stuck around. And Kevin De Bruyne is somebody who I feel that could could go on for one more big push at another big club, probably a bit of a Barcelona or a Real Madrid standard. But um, every minute he's at City, he, you know, it's, it's, it's just a plus for City, isn't it? And a lot of people have been saying this season hasn't been very good for him and maybe a little bit slower than what we've seen from some other seasons, but the, the stats and the figures are still there for, for, for Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Alex, would you probably say... De Bruyne, in terms of City players in the last you know decade, is, is he number one? You obviously got Aguero, you've got Company in that conversation. Um, I wouldn't say. Look, he's a fantastic footballer, but for me, the number one uh, for Manchester City has to be the man who's just left, David Silva. Mm. Uh, which I still think David Silva probably still had a role to play at Manchester City, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was more his decision to leave than the clubs. You know, Manchester City are eighth, and uh, you know that's kind of un unheard of since Guardiola uh, took over but I think I do think they'll find form and I think they will get top four uh, I, I can't see Manchester City staying eighth you know and I think getting if they didn't that would be disastrous for Manchester City you know I, I think they are one club it could really do with not playing Thursday nights and then having you know the jet lag and the hangover of playing on Sundays I think you know I think Manchester City would probably rather take no European football than Europa League football. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd agree there. And Manchester City were who I had in the Premier League this season. I think I thought Liverpool would still be knocking on the door, but I feel like Man City would be that hungry from last season and feel that annoyed that they just had to go and get it. And so far, you know, there's a lot of questions whether that's going to happen. Liverpool so far look, look, look very, very comfortable up at the top. But um, definitely one half of Manchester, you know, still looking quite promising. Uh, go to the other half of Manchester and ahead of Manchester City in the table, currently sitting a third, as I previously mentioned, uh, my own club, Manchester United. don't know what you boys uh, thought of the season so far. For, for, for me, as, as a United fan, it's been utterly bizarre. Because one minute you're thinking we're looking at a team of players being carried by Bruno Fernandes, and I cannot stress enough carried. He is... He is that good, in my opinion. He's the, he's the best signing that's been made post-Ferguson. One of the best signings in, in the Premier League in the last, you know, five, six, seven years, I think, as well. Um, and I, I don't remember the last time I've seen a signing being brought in in January affecting a club as much since, as Bruno Fernandes in recent years. I do not recall it. And 
United are a club which gets thrown around a lot with with obviously the VAR penalties. You know, this it's, it's always something which comes to the conversation, which we will touch on. But um, for me, so far this season, um, there's so much wrong, and there's very there, there's more wrong than there is right. But I feel like I mentioned with Liverpool, is it possibly the standard of the rest of the Premier League that's maybe helped project them into first? And I feel like that's a case of United as well. Uh, <laughs> we'll start with Alex. Um, in terms of United, where where are your thoughts? I mean, are you part of the the, the Solskjaer PE teacher kind of demographic? Or? Well, I, like I can't actually believe you know. I think is it if you win your game in hand, you go to the second place, yeah. <laughs> and you've kind of just come out of nowhere. I think you've got to credit Solskjaer really. I think after the Arsenal game at home, he was probably you know fighting for his job. Uh, and have you lost in the league since then? I, I don't. Believe- Oh, you know, well, I, I don't. I don't believe you have. Uh, so you've got a credit in there. To be fair, I don't think he's the finished article as a manager, and I don't think he's he's a Manchester United capable manager. I, I don't think that. Uh, but he's third now. He's he's on a good run of form. Man United are riding the crest of the wave at the minute. Goals the second. Uh, I don't think you'll challenge Liverpool. Um, but you know, top four again, which. You know, it's looking likely at the minute, yeah. uh, which, especially after the, the disappointment of how you exited the Champions League this year, which, again, will, will, will be a big factor, you know, playing Thursday. Is, is that going to make Manchester United wilt a little bit? Um, you never know. But like I said, I think, I think you summed it up perfectly. You know, it is your club, so I'd expect you to do that. But there's so much wrong that it seems to be going right at the minute. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's honestly it's utterly bizarre. It's it's a weird Premier League season. I think in the Europa League we've drawn Real Sociedad, which I'm not entirely comfortable for. I think Real Sociedad are again a very good team in the league. They're a team that I I have it silver. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> silver. They're a team I compare quite similarly to like an to an RB Leipzig over in Germany. You know, um, in in terms of recent successes, they're not going to touch the, the the top of the league they're a really good mainstay in their own respected leagues and I don't know if we're going to progress in that competition but whether that's for the best I don't know I think there's a lot to focus on in the Premier League and you know we're still we're still in the, in in the in the League Cup as well you know there, there's still a lot of football to be played um, but the Europa League is one that you know I feel like we could be shown an early exit door unless we really apply ourselves and Ollie wants to go out and get that to get that particular competition trophy um, Alfie, I'll, I'll talk to you with a bit, little bit about United. Um, going forward right now, Bruno Fernandes, like I said, I've already mentioned, is I say behind Kevin De Bruyne personally. I think he's the, the second best midfielder in the league right now. Um, other players that we've got um, cutting around at the club, we've got obviously Paul Pogba, a guy that we covered a few couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Who, you know, plenty to say about him there. Donny Van der Beek, who can't seem to get a game. And then going forward, obviously Edison Cavani. Anthony Martial and Rashford. And I feel like the, the, the 6-2 against Leeds almost hides it a little bit. I feel like we are still lacking an awful lot going forward. That was just a particularly really strong game. I mean, two of those goals coming from Scott McTominay. Um, as United, as, as, um, as an attacking threat, how would you kind of assess them at the moment with, with, with what the games we've seen so far? I think it, it's sort of mixed. I think, like I say, Martial especially, last season, obviously... Score, scoring goals this season. I think he's only on. You'll know he's only on a couple. I think 
Obviously, not not doing quite as well as he'd have hoped. But I mean, like I say, Bruno Fernandez. I mean, hate to admit it, but he is absolutely unbelievable. Really, I, like I can't believe one player can have that sort of effect at a club. Um, but like I say, with the likes of Paul Pogba as well. I think recently, I know he, he did. I don't think he started against Leeds, did he? But I think recently he has picked up some form, and he sort of shows these glimpses of what he really can be. And I think a player like Pogba. If you can get him in in the right form, in the right position, sort of playing the football, you know he can play. Then I think United will not struggle. And I think with a midfield of sort of him and him and Fernandez, and I think it's just it's brilliant. But like I say again, with Rashford, I think Rashford sort of goes under the radar. I mean, I thought against Leeds he was brilliant. He he, he he's getting back to sort of taking on his man again he's getting that confidence and I think like say at the minute Rashford smashing it on and off the pitch isn't he really yes um, and I think United going forward probably that's probably what they're going to look forward to I mean the defence I mean I'm still not a fan of Maguire I think De Gea has seen better seasons I mean he, he the last, since sort of the 2018 World Cup I don't think he's been at his best but I think when he sets the bar so high himself being at the time he was the world's best keeper in my opinion yeah. for at least two years I mean absolutely phenomenal keeper I think that's probably why you see the downfall of him more when he's obviously set his bar so high and his standards so high but I think the, if United sort of get in a world-class centre-back like you say they hoped Maguire would have the same effect as Van Dijk I think if they get a Van Dijk style player then I will be worried about United and yeah. possibly, sort of, I don't, I don't know whether, I know he's scored twice, whether Scott McTominay is the man for that role if they want a proper title challenge. I mean, you might disagree. You've watched them a lot more than me. <laughs> I mean, in, in terms of what, what my main criticism of United this season, a lot of times you've seen Oli opt for, for, for two more defensive midfielders and then you've got one kind of creative outlet. Hmm. And I don't think it's needed. I think we need one competent DM. I think Nemanja Matic is, is perfectly fine for one game. But then I feel like it's obviously an aging player. You play him constantly yeah. throughout the season, you'll start to see the cracks. So I think a, a, a competent DM is what we've been looking for for a very, very long time. And McTominay offers you something, Fred offers you something, but none of them are going to. I think you've got to give full credit to Fred, to be fair. You know, I saw Man United play last season and I thought, who on earth is he? Like, yeah. he, he looks. He looks abysmal, but I, I've been really impressed with Fred in recent weeks. I've actually, I'd actually go as far as saying he's one of the more underrated players in the league. Mm. Yeah, I think, I, I think you'll. Sorry, I'll just chip yeah. in there. I think the one thing with Fred is there's no sort of doubt about how he can play this season. I think he's just got that sort of live wire in him. I think it is like you say with the South American players. I mean, against PSG, getting himself sent off, he is sort of liable to, to get himself a stupid yellow or a stupid red that puts him in. And I think especially for a player in his position, sort of getting a yellow card is sort of, it, it sort of kind of fit the game. So obviously if he's got to bring down a player on the counter-attack, which in his position he'll have to do plenty of times, yeah. sort of getting a stupid yellow like he does at times for needless challenges, I think that sort of is what lets him down. Well, I mean, you mentioned the red card there. And I tell you, that's, if, if we are talking about Fred, that was a situation where I was furious at, at mainly Ollie because we every single person who was watching that game knew what was coming in that game they knew he was going to go off and you're just thinking it's inevitable so this you, 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 for full time, a half time whistle blows rather and you're like okay so Fred will be off half time or 
come back and we'll reassess, we'll see if we can do it. And then he, he, I couldn't believe it that he was still on the pitch. And it's like, well, this is, this is confirmed then. And then you see him being sent off and you're like, well, I, d- I literally didn't, didn't even flinch. I was like, yeah, well, that was going to happen. We, we knew that was going to That was part of the script because of a terrible managerial decision, in my opinion. And that's the thing with Ollie is, like I said, we, we, we sometimes play two DMs and one creative midfielder. I would much rather see um, a combination between Matic, McTominay and Fred, depending on the kind of team we're facing and having Donny and Bruno play together. Because I don't know how much you guys have seen of Donny van der Beek, but the guy doesn't stop running. He covers mm. so much. I can't lie. He's not, he's not a player I've seen too much of. If, I've if seen him at Ajax, but yeah. not sort of. And I mean, you look at the, like the Champions League, the, the, the season of the Ajax got to semi-finals and he was one of the, the main players in that team. And I was surprised that he stayed an extra season, really. Yeah. I'm surprised, really. I mean, he's not really getting a look in it at United at the minute, is he? But I think that's sort of down, like you say, to the choice of two defence midfielders and Fernandez's form. He's not going to replace him, is he? No, he's, he's not going to replace Fernandez. But I feel like he just sitting alongside him, Donny will go and he'll run around, he'll do the dirty work, he will cover the entirety of that pitch. And then the DM is there to assist the, uh, the defence, rather. And then you've got Bruno, free reign to assist the attackers. I think if you if you apply that, you're looking at a real, real threat. Because Fred can offer creativity at times, but he, again, he's not the finished article in that parameter. I think he does do more of the gritty kind of dirty work as well. And Scott McTominay, again, is a different kind of player to Matic. We, we've got so many players which occupy the same position, but none of them are guaranteed every week starters, in my opinion, which is a real situation to look towards, as well as defence, as, as we've already mentioned. But... Um, We've got uh, the youngster Ahmad Diallo coming in in January. We paid 40 million for him in the summer, um, 40 million euros in the summer, and he's coming in from Atalanta. I can't say I'm, I'm not very familiar. I'm not too sure, but potentially another creative outlet if he's joining up with the first team straight away. But United, uh, a team at the moment, which I think are exceeding expectations when you look at the table, but as a, a second half of the season will be the real test for them, I think. So definitely a club to keep your eyes out for in the second half of the of the, uh, of the Premier League. Uh, but moving on again, um, Newcastle I've got next on my list. And I'll start with you, Alex, as a, well, normally a Newcastle season ticket holder. You get yourself to quite a few games at Newcastle. You know the ground quite well. You know the, the fans. Um, how would you say their season's gone so well? Um, the football has been horrible. I can't lie. It's, you know, I, I, I watch... I've watched, I'd say, a bulk of their games this season when they haven't played at Saturday, three o'clock. I've, wa- I've watched them play. And it has, the football is just, it, it would send you to sleep. Uh, it's as bad as Burnley's, I would, I would probably say. That being said, they, somehow, Steve Bruce just pulls a result out of nowhere. Uh, you take, for example, they got, completely obliterated by Brighton on the second game of the season. Uh, the next week, they went to Tottenham and they got a point. Uh, I don't know how he does it. Uh, they, sit in, they sit in 12th, which is a bit of a mystery to me, which, again, probably says about the rest of the Premier League. Uh, but I think, you know, Callum Wilson, a shrewd bit of business, very good signing, um, is probably you know, keeping a lot of pressure off Steve Bruce's shoulders. And the ironic thing is, Newcastle have got a big game in the Cup tonight 
Steve Bruce could actually be the man who ends this massive wait for a trophy. Yeah. And I think it would probably be the most ironic thing going. It would be kind of poetic, wouldn't it, really, when you think about <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned Callum Wilson being brought in in the summer. I think Newcastle had quite a good window with, the, with some of the business they did. And Callum Wilson obviously coming from Bournemouth. I'm very surprised that Bournemouth weren't a team that Newcastle and other Premier League clubs didn't look more towards. There's plenty of players still there. Well, they got they got um, Wilson and Fraser in who know each other very well. I think they they were best friends during the time at Bournemouth. And I think, you know, there's still a lot to come from Ryan Fraser. But you can see that the two know each other well. They link up well. Uh, and you know the counter-attacking style that Newcastle play, a front three of of Wilson, Fraser, and Saint Maximan could could really cause a few problems. Yeah. You mentioned Saint Maximan there; that was my next kind of point to go on to. Um, Alfie, I'm not sure what your opinion overall is of Saint Maximan. I feel like in terms oh, of... don't get him started. <laughs> here we here we go. I'm excited. I'm expecting something good here. I mean, I think. Saint Maximin, I think, has been in a lot of the same conversations as like Adama Traore in the sense that they're two very entertaining players to watch in the league for in the same position for very different reasons. You know, Adama just a speed and strength just monster at times, and then Alan Saint Maximin can come in and do absolute wizardry on the ball. I mean, I've said it so many times. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about it, and then he'll do something ridiculous, and it's mm. like, oh wow, okay, fair enough. Maybe I spoke too soon. But overall, Saint Maximin, what's your what's your opinion? I absolutely love him. I think he's. I think this season, he, struck, he always looks like he's, he, he's carrying a knock this season. He had that game against Burnley where I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Um, but I think this season, he's not been as good. But like you say, he's just got that thing about him. He, he'll, he'll take on a man. But you, you, when you think he just can't get any further, he somehow finds a way and he, he's just brilliant. And especially for a team like Newcastle, who need that bit of flair especially in the Steve Bruce side as well. He, he does add that bit of excitement to watching Newcastle. But I think sort of he signed that new contract, Antin, is it sort of the, he signs a new contract and he, he stopped performing as well. I mean, hopefully if he can, like you say, like I've said just before, he does look like he's carrying a bit of a knot this season. So whether that's what's affecting his form as much, but hopefully if he can sort of knock on. And I mean, once he gets playing, like you say. Well, he, hasn't, he hasn't played since the, since the Chelsea game. On the twenty first yeah. of November, I think he was self isolating at some point. Yeah, but I think he he is injured, isn't he? Uh, I'm pretty sure. I, I I'm not I'm not sure. I, I mean, he'd pick up a knock, I think. Yeah, surely. But I mean, like you're saying with him, the one thing that really lets him down, like like anyone will say, is his end product. I mean, like he, he turns in, he, he he will take it past six seven players, and then he'll cross it in, and you just think, well, I could have done a better job than that. And it, that's the one thing that disappoints. But it's the same story with Adama Traore. They're both brilliant at taking players on and they're really exciting to watch. But it's just, you want to see that, that end product more often. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't know about you, but there's been times where I thought, I've, I've looked at him and I thought, I, I, don't, I can't really put a finger on it, but I feel like he's such an Arsenal kind of player. I don't know why. I just feel like he's someone which I could just definitely, definitely mm. see playing for Arsenal at some point. I'm not sure. I I don't know whether he'd be quite good enough for Arsenal. I definitely love him there, but it's just whether he's the sort of player we'd need yeah. to go for. Another winger. Yeah. Another <laughs> winger that's got no end product. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on from Newcastle, we're, we're, we're going back down to the bottom of the, the, of the uh, table with Sheffield United. Uh, Sheffield United, I, I feel like, starting off a little bit of a, of a conversation about them this season, I feel 
they were so good last season. They exceeded so many expectations last season that, again, we spoke a little bit earlier, I think we spoke about it with Leicester, of almost when a team does so well in the Premier League, it's almost unfair for fans at the end of that kind of a first initial season because they maybe have quite high hopes and they're expecting, you know, right, Sheffield, here we go, Premier League mainstays. And then you look at them this season and they do not look in any way, shape or form the same club. And again, there's been a couple of times where I thought that they have been hard done by. You know, they've had some good performances. You know, they've had a good couple of goals against United um, from Goldrick. But I feel like Sheffield this season, there's no way of saving them, in my opinion. I don't know what you think about this, Alex. It's been, <clears throat> well, disastrous. That's the, that's the only thing you can say. Uh, I think, you know, the way Sheffield United play with the overlapping centre-halves, it was, you know, it kind of took the Premier League by surprise a little bit to start off with. Uh, but I just think you're going to get found out playing like that. Uh, that being said, I, I do think they have been unlucky in some games this season. Uh, they're un- they've been unlucky not to have, um, what's his name, Jack O'Connell available, yeah. uh, who was such, you know, I'd probably call him their best defender. Um, I think they were unlucky against Leicester to lose in the manner they did. I think they were unlucky against Aston Villa. Um, I think they were unlucky against you in in yeah. in some ways. Uh, I, I think they're beyond help now, Sheffield United. I think they probably are going to go down. But I will stick my neck on the line and say they're not going to break Derby's record. I think they are better than that. And I think they will pick up some points. Um, I do hope they stick with Chris Wilder. I think he's a fantastic bloke, a good manager for what he's done for that club. I think he deserves a chance to get them back into the Premier League. But I, I can't see Sheffield United getting out of this now. I, I agree in the sense that they should stick with Chris Wilder. It's, um, it's whether I think the, the culture of, of the Premier League as well, the toxicity of, you know, of the managers going. And it's, it's just a trend we're seeing now. I mean, well, it's not long till we talk about the first manager that has gone in the Premier League very soon. That's going to be a conversation that we'll, we'll touch on. But um, I feel like it cannot be overestimated the loss of Dean Henderson as well had on Sheffield. I think it was more of a mentality thing because he was such a great keeper. And obviously there was a chance of him going back on loan this season, but United weren't interested. They wanted to make sure they locked him and secured him to a deal, which I feel the only way that we were able to achieve that is by promising him that he is definitely in the future plans for the club. Because right now we're still seeing De Gea get picked ahead of him after such a good season. So I feel like it was a strict promise to him that he'd be involved in the future plans, which is what kept him at, at Manchester United as opposed to maybe going on another loan to Sheffield, maybe Sheffield putting in a bid for him, you never know. But um, I feel like Aaron Ramsdale was a good signing being brought in. You know, it was obviously coming from a relegated club. It was a bit of a of a, of a weird one at the time, but I felt like he was a young keeper with, with legs to him. I felt like there was there's room to grow. But the loss of Dean Henderson, Alfie, I'm not sure how you feel that has affected them as a club. Yeah, I think I slightly disagree. I think Ramsdale was a bit of a poor signing. I'm not Ramsdale's biggest fan. Um, I fought at Bournemouth at times. He just looks a bit... His kicking is phenomenal. Mm. And I think that sort of is what he brings to the team. But I, he originally come from Sheffield United, didn't he? I think it was... He went from Sheffield United to Bournemouth and then obviously he's come back. I mean, what was he, 20... Was he 20 million around that area, something like that? Something like that. And I think for going from Dean Anderson, who last season was, like you say, absolutely fantastic for him and, and saved them so many times, to Aaron Ramsdale, I think it's a massive step down for them. And I think also their business in the summer, I think, was poor. I think 
Ryan Brewster for 23 and a half million or whatever he was. I think that, I think he's a sort of player, not proven in the Prem, he's a sort of player you get on loan, I think. Yeah. And I think it was a massive risk and I think he's still yet to score for them. So I think sort of it is part of their own downfall. And like you say, Alex, touch upon what Alex said, the overlapping centre-halves. Like I say, it took them by surprise last season, but they're just found out too often this season. And they've just been, they have been unlucky at times, but but mainly poor. And especially with Sander Burge being injured now, I think that's even worse for their, for their season. Yeah, I think Sander Burge is a very good player. I think he's definitely one of the one of the gems in 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 that team. But uh, you you touched on Brian Brewster as well. I feel like I, I said at the very start of this podcast how we put William as our you know worst signing of the season. But I think Brewster could have easily have kind of gone into that conversation mm. as well before even seeing him play personally. I mean, I thought it was terrible business. Amazing from Liverpool again though. Just well, that's what they're good at into yeah. sort of selling mediocre players for millions. Yeah, whoever's you know you know. I guess it's an amalgamation, really, isn't it? Of people responsible for their transfer dealings, but it's 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 fantastic. One thing I am going to say about Sheffield, you know, it's and it's a small thing to pick up on, but I do think if any club in the Premier League misses having fans, it is Sheffield United. You know, uh, Bramall Lane. It was such an amazing atmosphere when they first come up into the Premier League uh, at Bramall Lane, and. They didn't lose many games there. Um, it was such well. It was a bit of an intimidating place to go, really, for 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 many teams. Fans right right close to the pitch. It made some fantastic noise, and I just think playing in front of no fans it kind of disampers Sheffield United a little bit. And the magic of of a team like Sheffield being out of you know top flight for for, for so long, coming back in, their fans are already going to be hungry to see that good quality football. And when they get the performances like they do. I'm sure the atmosphere was absolutely electric. So, yeah, definitely, having fans at certain stadiums for certain games cannot be overestimated, can it? It really can be. You know, the, they, they always say, you know, the extra man on the team, don't they? I definitely feel like it does contribute. But um, moving away from Sheffield, um, Southampton now. And Southampton, again, probably a team which there's quite a lot to maybe pick upon. Um, Starting maybe with the manager, Ralph Hassan, Hassanhull. I'm not sure how you guys feel about him. I, I'm a big fan. I think he's a very interesting mm. manager, very, very good manager. Again, very early on in his career. So, could be, I see, I see a do, do see ascension for him. I see him potentially getting quite a few big jobs in the future. Um, but I'll start, I'll start with you, Alex, for, for, for Southampton. Um, how are you feeling uh, for Southampton so far? Uh, really good. Um, You've touched upon the manager. I'm a massive fan of Ralph Hasenhutl. I think he is just, uh, you know, a typical Southampton. Pluck him out of left wing. No one's really heard of him. Like they did with Ronald Koeman, like they did with Pochettino. Uh, and he's done really well. I think you've got to credit Southampton, really. They're probably one of the best one, best run clubs in the whole league. Uh, their philosophy of, you know, how they sign players and managers... You can't, <laughs> sorry, you can't fault it, uh, and I think it's testament to Southampton really. After that, you know, people talk about it so much about the Leicester game last season where they were, you know, caned nine nil at home, uh, and they stuck with their manager and they're reaping the rewards now. And I just think you've got to credit them for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was no more pressure than at that very moment for them to think like, right, what do we do? Because everyone was focusing on Southampton at that point, but. Like you said, I think sticking with him was the right decision and, and it's paying off now. 
um, a couple of players, to, uh, there are more players that I'm sure I've, I've missed the list, but a couple of players which I'm very interested in at, at Southampton. Obviously, Danny Ings is, is great fit and fire and form. He picks, picks up a little knock, didn't he, recently? So that's a, mm. you know, a bit of a worry for Southampton, I'm sure. But also, um, James Ward-Prowse. I feel like this is a guy, if it could have been a very different story. He could have been taken from Southampton very early on and been nurtured by one of the top flight clubs. And, and, and who knows where he would have been now? I mean, he's excellent now. And I feel like if he went to, maybe did get a big move at some point, I feel like he'd be excellent at a different club. Um, I do see him, at, you know, as someone like a Tottenham. You know, that, 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 is, that is somewhere yeah. I see kind of going in for Ward-Prowse. But Alfie, Ward-Prowse is a player. Um, do you see a, a, maybe a further career path for him? Or do you feel like Southampton is the destination? I think he, he, he's definitely... Southampton have done well to keep on to him for so long. I mean, I'd take him at Arsenal. I think he's an absolutely fantastic player. Mm. Off-set off pieces, I mean, every single set piece is almost like a penalty for him. Isn't it? And you look at how many goals they've got from set pieces, either directly from Ward-Prowse or from his, his fantastic delivery. And I think he just he gets better year on year. And I think this year, he's really, like, he's really shone. And especially, like I say... Danny Ings as well, massive miss for them. Him, a lot of people saying, can he carry on the form he had last season? And I think he he has started the season off really well. I mean, even players like I say Hassan, who was getting the best out of Theo Walcott. I yeah. mean, he looked done and dusted at Everton. He, he's gone on loan to Southampton, obviously his first club. And I mean, I think he, he he's looked really dangerous. He's looked like the old Theo, sort of. He, he he's getting in behind. I mean, that finish against Arsenal, fantastic finish. He's creating chances. And I think even, like, say, Shea Adams as well, he's getting the best out of Shea Adams, a player who couldn't score for Toffee last season. And he's chipping in with the goals this year and he, he, he looks dangerous. I mean, I think it sort of says, I see he's hitting him from all over. He's got confidence. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what the manager's bringing into him. And I think the whole team are absolutely, I mean, like I said, the, the, they're taking, I think they're unlucky against City. They're unlucky against us. Chelsea, Really unlucky against Chelsea. Obviously, they got the 93rd minute winner, which was more than what they deserved. And they're taking, the, they're not scared of who's in front of them. They're playing their football, and and that's what they've just been brilliant at this season. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point to say, actually. They aren't scared. They're, they are a club you go into, and they, they, I think they look at everyone in the Premier League and think, we can do a job here. We can go with confidence and potentially wrestle some points off some of the big clubs in the league. And I, I definitely feel like that's, that's going to be something they take forward into the second half of the season. Um, but a more um, a more fruitful team to talk about, uh, quite a lot to talk about with um, with Tottenham coming up now. Um, well, I mean, a good season they've had so far. I mean, I, I, Tottenham were really hard to place for me this season. I was really confused. When they brought in Jose Mourinho, I'm well aware of, of what it's like when you bring in Jose Mourinho from experience, obviously. You bring him in and it's like, oh, wow, hang on a minute. Jose Mourinho's coming to my club. That's, that's, that's crazy. I didn't think that was going to happen. Oh, my God, he's a fantastic manager. Right, let's give him some time. Let's see what he does. You, you know the reputation he comes with. You know the kind of football reputation he comes with. And you wait and see. And you reap the rewards really early on. And then, obviously, as things progress a little bit more, you, that's when you start to see the problems. And so far, I mean, this season for Tottenham, Harry Kane and Hyungmin Son, I think, are probably the best duo in, in world football currently. I would, I would personally say that. I mean, you talk about the best tree, like trio, best front three in the world, arguably Liverpool's in there. But I think Kane and Son this season have been nothing short of, of fantastic. Um, Alex, 
start of you for Tottenham. What, what, how would you feel about Tottenham so far? Well, I'm sure Alfie will vouch uh, here. When we did the, uh, me and Alfie did like a little bit of a prediction at the start of the season, and we we I placed Tottenham in in second place, I think. Uh, and Alfie was like, "No, nah, no, nah, that'll never happen. That'll never happen." Uh, <laughs> but I think I think I've been um, I think I've been you know Tottenham are down in sixth at the minute. I don't know how that's happened. They have kind of had a mini dip recently um, with the Liverpool game, which I thought they were unlucky to lose. You know, this is this would be the perfect time to draft Salmon, really, wouldn't it? But uh, <laughs> like, Tottenham have been, you know, a typical Jose side, really. Um, they've, you know, Kane and Son on the counter have just been absolutely uh, unbelievable. You know, their two goals against Arsenal. I'm not trying to rub it in Alfie. We're just <laughs> your, tif- your archetypical oh, Jose Mourinho. You can't argue with it. Goals, and I do think I think that the chance for the title might have gone for Spurs now, uh, but I think they'll get top four, and I think they'll win the League Cup. Win the League Cup. I, I tell you what, they, this has been something for Tottenham that I've said for years now. I've said um, to, to, to some of my closest mates around me that are Spurs fans. I feel like if Tottenham can win a piece of silverware. They could be unlocked. Like it's been, they've, it's been dangled in front of them for so long now, and they just. It'd be a massive. Even a league cup would be a massive weight off the shoulders for Tottenham. You know, it would be colossal. It would be, it would be absolutely brilliant for them. I de- definitely agree with you. So, like you said, I mean, if they can get the league cup, I feel, and and who better to bring in something than Mourinho? Mourinho, that's what he does. In the, he did at United. You know, we. we He'd probably make them favourites for the league cup with who's left in it. Uh, them or Manchester City, I think it's give or take. But with Mourinho's pedigree, I would make them favourites for the League Cup. I'd say so, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't want to come up against them. Yeah, obviously, how United play against Tottenham was a different story. You know, I feel like it was half. I mean, everyone was so quick to criticise United and beat And we were awful, don't get me wrong. But I also think not enough of the commentary was how just how good they were. And they, were, and they have done that quite a lot this season. Um, obviously, Alfie, they're the other side of... Uh, of um, for you, they're not 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 the club. I'm sure you're uh, particularly enjoying seeing doing so well. Yeah. But um, Hyungmin, Son, and Kane. I mean, you you got to admire him, haven't you? Oh, 100. I think Kane's definitely improved his all-round game this season. I, I used to be critical of sort of his creativity, but I mean, like I said, this season, I think he's he's, he's on double figures for assists already. Yeah. And I mean, what a better player to have, sort of finishing off these chances he's creating than, than Son. And I mean, they just they complement each other so well. Mm-hmm. And like like say on the counter attack, Harry Kane holding it up, playing it through. And I mean, Son's absolutely lightning quick. And I mean, he can hit him. I mean, that first goal. I mean, who would have thought he's going to hit it there? I mean, the, the 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 quality that he has is really lived in Spurs. And I think one of the signings of the season is Hoiberg from Southampton, which I actually did say was a poor signing from them so but he, he really has been sensational and I think even like so the players that have just started I used to be critical of, of Lloris thinking he wanted a brilliant like he, he was always prone I thought to an error yeah I thought he was still a brilliant keeper don't get me wrong but I think even sort of everything I mean Aurier at right back how, how he's been transformed I know he gave the oh. super penalty away against Leicester mm. I'd actually pitch Regulon as one of my signings of the season. I think he's been he's yeah. been superb. Yeah, I feel that there's so much to pick up on. I think you, you you two have both hit quite a lot of it. Sergio Regulon, I think, was a great signing, and he was also obviously at one point looking destined to go to United, but it was to do with the 
the buyback and all that stuff that, that, that we weren't interested on. But Tottenham, we're, we're, what our, was our loss was Tottenham's gain. And he's been one of the best kind of additions to that team, undoubtedly. Um, Heuberg, again, one of the players where I definitely, I, I didn't necessarily say it was a bad signing. I just thought it was a bit of a nothing deal. I was like, well, average just, signing, I called it. Yeah. I thought. Well, a, you look at the Heu, you, you look at the Heuberg signing. It was, I can't remember how much it was for, but it was a nominal fee, really. Well, it, it and was the, basically, they paid and they the then went and recouped that money on selling Walker Peters. It was a bit mm. of a bit part player to, back to Southampton. So they've essentially got him for nothing, really. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I just thought he would just kind of be floating amongst the ranks. But clearly, Mourinho's, he had a plan for him, and, and, and you, you've seen it being applied now, and he does look like a real mainstay in that team. And he's forcing, you know, other players out of that squad. I mean, I, and one more thing to talk about with Tottenham, I think, that, that's, that's worthy, it does deserve to be said, is probably Eric Dyer. I think Eric Dyer has been very, very good, and he's been... Again, showing flares of what he did early on towards his Tottenham career. And now I feel like at, at centre-back, is, is, is this it now? Is this where he is? I mean, Alex, what, what, what would you say with Eric Dyer? Well, I, I said when, back when Mourinho got, got, um, got appointed, uh, I think Mourinho is going to be so, so good for Dyer. Uh, I think he'd be, he's the right person to have under his, under his wing. Uh, you know, both... Growing up in Portugal, uh, Mourinho being the defensive coach that he is, I thought it'd be a really good influence on Eric Dyer, and I think it's showing now. And I think you know Eric, Eric Dyer gets a lot of stick uh, from England fans, mm -hmm. but you know I could I could actually see Southgate starting him at the Euros, yep. which I think would irritate a lot of people. But I don't think I'd be too annoyed with it. You well, know, he's not he's not a flair player. Don't get me wrong, but I think he'd just be a solid a solid inclusion in the England squad. If the performances are coming in, I mean, you can't really argue, can you? And certainly the defence... I'm sure Alfie's going to completely counter me on Eric Dyer playing no, for England I'm, there. But I mean, I think playing for England, he has been quite poor. But you can't take away from how he's played, how he's turned it around, especially. I think sort of the previous two seasons, he was poor. Um but like I say, Mourinho, he's completely turned around under Mourinho and he does look solid, him and Alderweireld. Yeah, no, I, I can't take that away. Yeah, when, you, when you do take it to England, I think England's defence in general, England's centre-backs are very much up in the air. So we could, if the performances keep coming in, he could be starting for England. Um, moving away from Tottenham, um, I said that we were going to be talking about the first manager to go in the Premier League with, uh, with West Brom. Um, Slavin Bilic sacked uh, Alfie I'll start with you right decision in my opinion now especially after sort of the point at Man City as well Yeah. I mean a, a, another game where I thought they played brilliant I mean Sam Johnston what a game he had yeah. that was one of the like the, the performance of the season for a keeper um, and I thought West Brom looked good as well and I mean you can say as much as you want it was City were bad but I just think it was a brilliant performance from West Brom. I mean, Billich. I mean, I, I just I don't understand sort of sometimes the second manager. I know that they haven't sort of probably kicked on as well as they would have hoped, but I just think it's a weird, weird time, especially after the point at Man. That's just what really confuses me at the timing of the sacking. I mean, if they'd have got battered, then I could probably have seen why. Yeah. But surely that's a point to build on. 
And Bilic is probably the right man to build on that point. I mean, he knows that squad of players. I mean, Big Sam's come in. And I mean, yeah, they were down to 10 men, but they've been beat 3-0 off, off Villa. Um, and I think that's probably sort of a sign. Should they have sacked him? I mean, Big Sam, I think, will probably keep them up. Yeah. You know, it, it's what he does, isn't it? But I still think Bilic would have kicked on. I mean, give him next season, he could have progressed, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think West Brom, I, I still, I predict them to go down from the start, but sacking Billich, I think, was particularly cruel. But like you said, if, mm. if anyone's going to try and get in and keep him up, it is going to be Sam Allardyce. I mean, Alex, is, 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 is he up to the job? It's, it's a hell of a job if he gets it right. Uh, this is the way I see it with, with West Brom. Uh, I think the decision to sack Slavin Billich was made after the, after the loss away at Newcastle. Uh, you know, a heavy loss at home to Palace and then losing away to Newcastle. I think in an ideal world, West Brom probably would have sacked him on the back of a heavy defeat away to Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Football doesn't work like that and they got a point, so the sacking looks a lot more harsh than it was. And I, I can I, I, They've given him a shoestring budget to work on and, you know, they're, getting, they're not getting the results, shock horror, but I can see why they've done it. But I do think this squad of players is beyond help. Yeah. Even Big Sam, uh, you know, I said the other day, uh, if Big Sam keeps West Brom up, it is without a doubt his best achievement in football. Uh, uh, you know, at least he took over Sunderland and Palace in similar positions. But you know, at Sunderland he had Defoe to build a team around. Uh, at Palace he had Zaha to build his team around. I don't see anyone remotely close to that at West Brom. Uh, yeah. The only player who's got that an ounce of that talent is Matias Pereira but I think he's way too inconsistent I, I, I can't see Big Sam even, even Big Sam keeping West Brom up this season I think I think they're doomed yeah I mean that, that Pereira I think he is one of the highlights I mean so far this season I think West Brom were incredibly unlucky against United obviously you know Sam Johnston man of the match in that game for me I thought like he was absolutely incredible and Pereira obviously it's not until like, when you really do watch West Brom playing, you see how much Pereira can control from that midfield. If he had the players around him, God, I mean, who knows what he could achieve? But whether that's going to happen at West Brom is a completely different story. They've got January approaching and they're a newly promoted side as well. So that's another thing to, to consider, isn't it? It's, it's how much a newly promoted side can achieve in January. But, I mean, just um, to chip in quickly, I mean, we, we haven't even mentioned the point at Chelsea. Joe, obviously, I know 3-0 up. I mean, they were playing fantastic. I know, obviously, as a manager, it'd be disappointing against any team to throw away a 3-0 lead. But, I mean, you look at how they can play against some of the best sides in the league. And I think that sort of makes it look even cruel. I mean, like you say, they have had these batterings. But I think that's down to like, the Everton game. Gibbs getting sent off for an absolutely stupid mm. um, decision from him. And they have gone down to 10 men quite a few times. Pereira got sent off the other week. And I think that's what's let them down. Individual player performances at times in games where they were looking like they could have got something from the game. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. You know, the, it's, they're a side which I think in games they've been hard done by and you've seen, you know, what a team in that position can do. And it, 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 at times it's... It, it, it's it's positive, you know. You, you look and you you see something that you that you're that interests you. Pereira, just again, one of the highlights. Johnston's been a good player, and there's other areas on the pitch which they do have some talent. But I, th- I think Alex touched on. I don't think there's anything which is saving them now. Um, 
West Brom done, West Ham moving on to now. Uh, quite a different story with West Ham. West Ham, I think, so far, they've been, they've been quite surprising. I mean, uh, Alfie, I'll start with you for West Ham. Mm. Um, there were a lot of jokes being made around the time, wasn't it? David Moyes, when you were <laughs> self-isolating and all the amazing results were coming in. Um, but Moyes' West Ham this season, how, how do you feel it's gone so far? I generally think they, they are, like you say, surprised a lot. I think at times as well, they've, they've, got, they've got points and yeah. got wins when they haven't particularly played well. I thought the Villa game, I thought Villa were by far the better team. But, like I say, West Ham nicking the point. I think last night, obviously, losing 3-0 to Chelsea. I mean, it is Chelsea at the end of the day away. I mean, they're not going to probably lose too much sleep over that, David Moyes. But some of the like the results they've got this season, I mean, going to Leicester and, and turn them over 3-0. Um, they were unlucky against Starlock. We beat them 2-1. But I thought, again, they had chances to win the game. And I think he'll definitely be happy. I mean, at the start of the season, I think West Ham would have been happy with a sort of 15th place finished, really. But I like to say, I think some of the players they've got... I mean, Jared Bowen, I like watching him play. I think yeah. he, he's really kicked on this season. Um, and like you say, they, they really have surprised a lot. Yeah, I think Jack, Jared Bowen's one of the players I'd highlight as well. I think he was a really good signing at the time. I, I was kind of surprised that no one bigger was kind of looking at him, but... I think it was a good acquisition, but um, definitely a, a, a player, like you said, who has kind of come on and performed quite well this season. Um, Alex, what would you say about West Ham so far? Well, I think loads of people have actually forgotten and it's kind of, you know, made the job, you know, people have forgotten how well David Moyes has done. West Ham come into this season in absolute turmoil. Mm. Uh, fans were so unhappy that, you know, they, they weren't forking the money out uh, for players, uh, you know, Grady Diangana went to West Brom uh, for a small amount of money and then you had the club captain coming out and lambasting the owners on Twitter and then they lost the first game of the season at home to Newcastle and you thought West Ham looked, looked like they could go down but credit to David Moyes, I think he's actually done really well, the, the 4-0 at home to Wolves was a turning point and they've just been picking up results steady as they go and I think West Ham will stay clear of any trouble of getting relegated. Yeah, I think that puts us on a, on a good point to talk about the final club that we are talking about so far in the Premier League is Wolves. Uh, that 4-0 um, loss to West Ham. Very interesting game to, to, to analyse because Wolves, we've said it so many times on the podcast, like in, in the first season and going on into this season of the, of the podcast, Wolves are a weird club. Like one minute, they will go out and just look absolutely... Like anything can beat them. We we mentioned you know Southampton's confidence. So they can go into games and think, yeah, we can we can do something here. And sometimes you're like, yeah, Wolves have got that. Wolves Wolves have got that. And you know, with 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 some to spare, you know, Wolves have got that about them. But then there are other times where you, you you're looking at them and you're thinking, oh wow, like what is what's 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 the answer here? You know, they lost Diogo Jota in the summer. That was definitely a huge loss. But where they've lost him, uh, Pedro Neto and, and uh, Daniel Pedence have stepped up. Two really interesting players. Pe uh, Pedro Neto, I think, looks incredible. And obviously there are other players on that pitch. Uh, Ruben Neves, you know, a player which so many people have, have, have been extremely uh, happy with over the, over the last few years. And Conor Cody as well, a player which I, I really like Conor Cody. I think he's a good player. I think um, he's someone that I, I, I'm surprised hasn't been linked with a move back to Liverpool. He seems like something Liverpool would go back in for. I don't know if that's just me. Um, mm. Plays a bit of a different system to what they do at Liverpool, obviously, at, at Wolves. But 
I just feel obviously coming from that team originally and a player in good, in particular good form and Liverpool needing defensive reinforcements. I feel like he's someone who maybe could turn a few heads, but uh, we'll start um, Alex Wolves. Um, how, how, how are you feeling? Wolves confused me so much. I, I don't, I can't put my finger on what Wolves actually are. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they pull out some brilliant results, um, you know, beating Chelsea, uh, last week was it last week uh, to name one yeah. but then you know losing in the manner they did to Burnley last night I thought they looked terrible uh, I think with Wolves the problem is there's a bit of a hangover from the manner that they exited the Europa League last year uh, and I think you know they've just they've not looked the same uh, I think you know they looked very negative last night They've looked very negative in, in games against teams they should be beating. Uh, I think Neves looks a shadow of what he's looked in the past two seasons. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously losing Jimenez in the way they have is so unlucky. But like you said, they've got players who are capable of filling in that role, like Neto and Podence. And I, I, Wolves, I, like I said, they're just they confuse me. I don't I don't know what to expect from them. Yeah. They're such an inconsistent side, and yeah, I just. I think I think they've been a victim of their own success as well because we now expect Wolves to be pushing for the Europa League, but yeah. I don't think they're going to do that this season. I mean, you, you said it yourself. Raúl Jiménez was, was was a colossal loss to them, and obviously Alfie that was that was in the game against mm. Arsenal. Um, and Jiménez has been someone that I think has been also toted around, especially in the last last summer window, around a couple of big clubs poking poking their poking their nose around for him, and I feel like. Diogo Jota going to Liverpool in the summer could have been the start of a bit of an exodus over the next few seasons. And it would all depend on the kind of form they start exhibiting in the league. Because if they started exhibiting more form, consistently getting you know Europa League football potentially, we could have started to see quite a few players come into the club. They've got a good manager in Nuno. And you know we could have started to see a real turning point. But again, it's, it's a double-edged sword, I think. Because if they have that success, if the results aren't coming in, then players are going to start to leave. And do you, do you would you say that the Wolves are potentially a club at risk of a big exodus of players on the way out? Um, I'll, I'll jump in there. I think, like you say, Pedro Neto and Podence. If they keep playing the way they are, then I can't see why a big club won't come after them. I think they're both exciting players, quick, um, and they can find the back of the net. And and like I said, they've got they've got players. Neves, I think people forget how young Neves is. I mean, he's been around since he was sixteen, captain in Porto in the Champions League. Like he's not sort of getting on. And I mean, he could still do a job. Like I say, been disappointing this season. I think along with Matinho, um, both been sort of a lot poorer than they have the last couple of seasons. But I think if they if they do have a poor season. And these players are expecting European football and there's no reason if, if a club that is sort of challenging for European football comes in for them, then there's no reason to believe why they wouldn't leave. Yeah. But I mean, sort of like moving on to what you said about Connor Cody, I think this season for Cody, I think one of the main things has been sort of they've switched to this back four. And I think with Cody, he really, he, he really thrives in a back three. I think in a, in a, in, when he's two centre-backs, I think, like against Liverpool, I think he's more exposed. Yeah. But I think the thing is, if they if they can keep hold of Cody, 
I think that would be amazing. I mean, you, you hear him barking orders out all the time. He's a brilliant club captain. I mean, yeah. And and like you say, if they can keep hold of him, I think that will be the main one. And I think he staying will be a huge sort of boost for the players around him. Yeah, I'm surprised more other like other clubs aren't looking at Cody potentially to see if they can tempt mm. him out. Obviously, when you are a club captain, it does make the situation a little bit more personable. But um, I feel like if if, if you know the form isn't there, he could be tempted. And obviously, being an ex-Liverpool player, that could be the destination maybe that he ends up if anyone was tempting him. Um, I mean, with Wolves, as a kind of like a final point to talk about here, Alex, I mean, where do you see them realistically finishing? Do you see a, a more upper-end table finish? Is it too early to call? Um, I think Wolves' best hope this season is probably going to be uh, just getting into that top 10. Yeah, I think I I can't you know I think Leicester and and Everton they they're going to get the Europa League spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in fact, I don't even know how many Europa League spaces you get anymore. Is it is it three two? It all depends on the FA Cup and yeah. stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I I I think I think Wolves will finish top ten, but I don't think really get any higher. I I do. The thing is, what what are Wolves gonna you know what do they? You know the Europa League. I find it hard hard to envision them kicking on any further than that. Yeah, it's, um, it'll be significantly tougher for them to to, to progress further. I think playing on Thursday nights last year was kind of Wolves' downfall as well. So uh, it's a weird one. You know they they exited the Europa League to severe in a game they should have won. Mm. Um. So yeah, I, I I don't know what to say about Wolves. They just like I said at the start, they they confuse me so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all to see, I guess. I mean, I don't know if you'd agree with that, Alfie. Yeah, I mean, like you say, I think the biggest getting beat 4 0 off West Ham. I mean, who would have called that? And then, but then, like you say, they go the other end, they beat Chelsea in a game where I thought they were particularly poor until they scored. Um, but yeah, they're just a confusing side. But I think they have got a good manager in, in Nuno. And um, I think, like you say, maybe they are a victim of their own success, sort of overachieving, you yeah. know, getting promoted and and getting into the Europa League. You know, it's sort of, um, maybe that's why people are sort of looking at them and thinking they're having a bad season, when in reality, maybe they're not having that poor a season as people probably make out. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just kind of where they're supposed to be right now based on the, on the mm. climate. Well, there we go, guys. That is all of the uh, Premier League clubs that we have spoken about. One last point that I will round it off with before we finish up this podcast for Christmas. Um, I'll start with you, Alfie. Can I have a Premier League winner and can I have your three Premier League relegation people? So I'm going to go Liverpool to win the league and Sheffield United. It's a good question, that. I think Sheffield United, I think Fulham. And even though I said that Big Sam might be able to keep him, well, I think West Brom. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm... I have to go against my own words. <laughs> I think I might have the exact same three as you there. Um, Alex, what would you say? Yeah, I think Liverpool to win the league is a, is a fair shout. I don't think anyone's going to stop them. My bottom three differs uh, quite slightly. I think Sheffield United, uh, West Brom, and I'm going to go Brighton. Brighton. 
but there you go guys if you would like to get in touch with us on the average pundits you can always get a hold of us on our business email at the average pundits outlook.com you can follow us on twitter at pundits average and on instagram at the average pundits if you're watching this on youtube please leave a like and subscribe and you can get a hold of us on streaming services as well and go and subscribe and follow uh, nothing but football on all of the accounts we will have it all posted in the link below gents thank you very much for joining me today thanks for having us yeah, thank you yeah, it's been good and have a good Christmas, everyone, and we will see you next time.